My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spy. The Departure. The Secret. Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. And my name is Lauren. Yay! Welcome, Welcome Lauren. Lauren. Hey, Lauren. We're so, so excited you. to have you. I'm so excited to be here. We were so excited that we were coming up in the elevator and we just kept talking about the book and we had to stop because we have to do it on the air instead. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, it was all of us. It was Jenny's fault. It was my fault. That's true. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your experience with the Animorphs. Sure. Um, I was not exposed to Animorphs at all that I can recall when I was... Well, I don't want to say the appropriate age, but <laughs> Younger. The, the target demographic of the book. I was very much into horse books and ballet books mm-hmm. and other things that were like very closely related to what I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Oh, and historical fiction. I was obsessed with young adult historical fiction. So not um, so much aliens fighting wars. No, yeah. actually. So my first... Maybe I'd heard of it, but my first real exposure to it was living with Jenny. (laughs) And there was an entire shelf on her bookshelf that was filled with Animorph books. Mm -hmm. And I I think I owe her an apology. (laughs) Because at the time, I thought, what is this? Kids turning into animals. Oh my god. I am not into young adult fiction. (laughs) I've since come around to young adult fiction. So it was very surprising to me when I started listening to the podcast mostly just because I like you guys. Um, We're pretty great. And I got totally invested in the characters, and now here we are. Yay! Yay. Was it like from right away, or was it like a couple episodes in where you were like, you know what, I wonder what's going to happen to Jake this week? It it (laughs) took a couple of episodes. I found you all compelling, so I continued to listen. But um, it took me a little while to get invested in the characters, and then up until like a month ago, I was only listening and not reading. So then, in preparation for this, I read... All of the Rachel books, followed by all of the Tobias books, yeah. and also Megamorphs, followed by number 26, which is the one that comes right before this. In retrospect, I should have read The Android, but yeah, I didn't. we should have told you that. I, That's okay. Yeah. What was it like reading one of the books for the first time? It took me a little while to get into the voice, yeah. um, which I, I often have this experience with young adult writing. The simpler way that it's written throws me off a little at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I sort of get into the groove, then it starts to flow really easily. And it's funny because I'm not really like Rachel in a personality way, but mm-hmm. I really feel drawn to her for some reason. She's pretty great. I yeah. also, she was my favorite when I was reading this. Yeah. Time. I think I remember Kay Applegate saying in some interview at some point that like she's a lot of people's favorites just because she has such a strong personality. Yeah. You're tall. You're blonde. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of a physical thing and reading this book we'll get into this more but like this idea that she gets boxed into this one category mm-hmm. is very frustrating mm-hmm. to me yeah so anyway that's my animorph story nice it's a good story yeah we're so glad that this podcast has led you to these books do you want to yeah. join gray in predicting the next one <gasps> yeah yes. sure Happy to. that's gonna be Excellent. amazing good okay but first we're gonna talk about the exposed yes that's what we read this week right so gray what did you think about it 
Um, I liked it. Hey, is this a ghost-written one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you could tell in a bad way? I could That's tell. I heard yeah. Cu- well, it seems so far from the two ghost-written ones that mm-hmm. they get the major themes and the yeah. like plot, but the voice for the characters is a little off. Interesting. So sometimes okay. I felt like they were saying things, and I was like, what? Who? What? You don't talk like that. That is not at all how this hmm. character speaks. I had like a couple of things. Mostly it felt like Rachel to me, but that might be in part because my experience of Rachel and of Marco, you know, in 25, was partially formed by reading the ghostwritten books growing up. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... It, I mean, it I read them in order, but didn't know that they yeah, were right, ghostwritten yeah. at the time. So. I had no idea. <laughs> I'm probably like reading too much into that, but and I just... just knowing it's ghostwritten can make you paranoid. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I mean, you know, I liked some bits of it very much, and some bits I got irrationally angry about. So, you know, a usual in <laughs> book. Yeah, there, there were some choices I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my take on this one, after 25... I felt it was like a little rough. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, some of the ghost written ones are good. Because I, yeah. I really like this. We'll talk about probably some of the like specific times where I'm like, I don't think this character would have said this in this particular way. Mm-hmm. But like, I, at least more than in 25, I was able to kind of like move past that. Yeah. And like the way that Rachel deals with stuff feels very Rachel. There are a lot of like very Rachel yeah. moments. Yes. I was pretty nervous about this one because I was disappointed in 25 and I remembered liking this a lot, but I didn't have a lot of specific memories about it. I was like, I remember just a general, like, sort of generally what happens, but I don't remember what I thought was so good about it, but I really liked it. It's also kind of like 26 part two in a weird way, (laughs) which I like sort of knew from the plot summary, but like it really paints a fuller picture of this dynamic that got established in only the last one, which I feel like Mm -hmm. is fairly memorable. How about you, Lauren? How did this compare to the other other books that you've read so far? I enjoyed this. I was reading it a lot more closely than mm-hmm. I had the previous mm-hmm. ones. I enjoy Rachel and the Rachel and Tobias <laughs> things. <Yes>. Um, although <laughs> so there were a couple of moments where I was very upset. Uh-huh. I didn't know where things were going to go. Ah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk By about that later. With Rachel, with Tobias. By circumstances, mostly. Okay. Okay. I, yeah. I think everybody made the choice I wanted them to make in the end, but uh-huh. there were a couple of moments where I was like, uh, which way is this going to go? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you never know it. This is as far as you run the series. It could do anything with the characters. Yeah. And um, there were like a lot of dog references. So mm-hmm. that made me happy. <laughs> the whole Pemelite ship, which we will discuss, oh, we'll I'm discuss. sure, in great detail, made me extremely happy. There were also a lot of really funny things in this. Like, yes. There were a lot of things where I, I was like, oh, wait, this thing happened. I remember where this goes, and I remember that it's great. Eric is surprisingly sassy, which I did not see coming yes. based on 26. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was in a different place at 26, yeah. literally and also emotionally. Speaking of things that happened, should I should I give you guys a summary? Please. Yeah, okay. All right. So this one starts. Rachel's doing gymnastics. She's trying to be normal. Gets asked out by this guy named T.T., and uh, tells him no, but she's feeling weird about it. She's like, you know what will make me feel better? Shopping. So she goes to the mall, runs into Cassie, weirdly enough, at the mall. And they see Eric, the Chi, the android. He's he's like standing by a store and his hologram is malfunctioning. So he's like losing his hologram. He's losing mobility and they have to get him out. Rachel calls Jake and Marco. Marco shows up in a gorilla suit. They get him out of the mall in disguise. We'll talk about it. No one sees them, which they're like, we're so lucky. They get to Eric's house, find out uh, his father is having the same thing happen. All of the chi are like this. They're all frozen. They can speak, but they can't move. They can't use their holograms. Most of them are okay. They got somewhere safe. But two of them are in danger of being discovered. And this would be super bad 
not only would it be bad for the Chi, it would be extra bad if the Yerks find out about the Chi and manage to get their technology and really, like, boost their whole operation. So two of the Chi are in trouble. The Animorphs have to save them. The first one is uh, posing as a homeless person, and uh, the place where she is hiding is going to be raided by the police in 20 minutes. So the Animorphs, like, run off or fly off and go in and battle Morphs and try to get her out, and they end up in this firefight with the police and with the... this like criminal who's also a controller and they all are like losing a lot of blood and it's really messy. It's one of those like mid book things where you're like, wow, they're almost dead. Uh, but they make it out and then they have to try to get the other Chi who's in trouble is uh, works in a nuclear power facility, managed to lock herself in like a safe or something, but it's going to be caught at 10 PM that night. So they're like, okay, we don't have that long. Can we get her out? No, it's too high security. Eric says the only thing to do is to go under the water, like three miles down. The ship that the Pemelites originally took when they came to Earth thousands of years ago was stashed there by the Chi. They can use the ship to turn the Chi's functionality back on. There's an extra catch, which is that the Yerks will have sensed the signal going out from the ship, and they'll probably be after it also. So they're like, okay, how do we get this ship? We don't have any morphs that can go down that deep. Um, under that much water pressure. A giant squid is the only thing that could do it. There aren't any in captivity. Okay, how do we get a giant squid? We could get a sperm whale. There aren't any of those in captivity either. And they're like, well, we can't do anything. Like, there's nothing we can do. So Rachel goes home to dinner, and they're all really discouraged. She sees on the news, a sperm whale has just beached itself in their town. That's never happened before. And Rachel's like, well, this is weird. (laughs) But okay, I guess we have to acquire the sperm whale. And they go, and they do it, and Rachel gets Tobias to, like, help her cheat so that they can be the ones to, like, acquire the sperm whale and go under the water. And that's a whole thing we'll talk about. So Rachel and Tobias morph the sperm whales, go down, get a giant squid. Rachel almost gets eaten in this battle with a giant squid, but uh, Tobias subdues it, and they all acquire the giant squid. They go under the water, and they try to find the, the Pemelite ship, and... Um, they can't find it, but they end up seeing the Yerks coming, and they follow where the Yerks are going, and they get to the ship before the Yerks. They go inside. It's uh, sort of a weird wonderland that we will discuss, and the ship has generated these atmospheres for them because they're squid, and so it has these water bubbles that they're in. And they crack the security of the ship. The password is the number six, and they turn on the cheese functionality, and then the ship is like, Chi self-destruct sequence activated. And they're like, what? And the Yerks are at the door and everything suddenly goes transparent and they can't morph into battle morphs because the Yerks will see them. And then this guy shows up called the Drode. He's like, hi, I work for Cryak. Uh, this is great. You guys are all doomed. But like, not actually, because I can't kill sentient creatures. There is a way out, but you probably won't find it. And he's playing all these mind games with them. And then Cassie realizes they can use squid ink to cloud the bubbles they're in. And then they can morph. So they do. And they battle the Yerks. And it's really bad. They're really outnumbered. During the battle, the Drode tells Rachel, he's like, you really like violence. You're enjoying this, aren't you? You know, we could we could use you. You should come work for Cryak. Uh, just kill Jake and we'll give you a job. And she's like, yeah, right. I'm not doing that. But yes, they're fighting. It's really bad. They're losing. Uh, but then Eric shows up in the 10 minutes since this, since he got his mobility back. He has traveled across the water and three miles down and got into the ship. And he stops the self-destruct for the Chi and turns on the violence containment program on the ship. And there they all start moving in slow motion and then they're like frozen and they can't hurt each other anymore. And the ship is very apologetic, but it packs the Yerks off and, uh, and then it packs the Animorphs off back in their squid morphs. Uh, but before they go, the droid's like, 
Offer still stands. Anytime you want, anytime it's too much, just kill Jake and uh, we'll take you out of here. And Rachel's like, yeah, I'm never doing that, but thanks. Uh, maybe I won't tell Jake, though. He has enough to worry about. So they've saved the day. The book ends on the note of Rachel's running down the beach and, and TT comes up to her again and asks her out again. And she's like a little bit tempted. She's like, no, are you kidding? No. And uh, and then she goes flying with Tobias. And it's the end. Good summary. Thanks. All that stuff happens. So much stuff yeah. happens. Where do we even start? I have so many things. I don't I also... even know. All right, Lauren, you pick. Where do we start? Okay, what kind of name is TT? <laughs> Terrible does, turmoil. What does it stand for? Total trauma. Troubled, Troubled teen. teen. How is he not getting mocked out of school? Okay, you know what's weird? I didn't remember a lot of detail of this book. I really remembered TT and Tobias's potential acronym, like things his name could be an acronym for. Also, I'll catch you and you're falling for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he, I don't like he is super corny and annoying. What does Rachel see in him? Nothing. He's, uh, that's he's not true. That he's is really not cute. cute. I don't mean, she cute. doesn't like, like him in a serious way. She likes the idea of a normal boyfriend experience. Yes. yes. Okay, so I, I have new perspective on the conversation in 23. So in 23, she's trying to persuade Tobias yeah. to stay human. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. In 22, she realizes how strongly she feels about him. Now she's, like, trying to get him to stay human. I don't think that was really her primary motivation or, like, the primary thing that changed to make her have this conversation. I think in 22, she realized how far she was going down the path towards violence. And she was looking for a way to anchor herself into normalcy. And she's, like, she's looking for Tobias to kind of join her in a, like, normal teen relationship. She's like, I need this. This is a way I can hold on. And in this book, you see at the beginning, she's like, trying to use gymnastics that way. Doesn't really work. Yeah. She's trying to use shopping that way. And she even says, like, it's hard for her to enjoy anything besides violence. And she's looking for something that can, that she can enjoy in addition to battle. Yeah, that's a really good insight. I hadn't quite put that together. But it's it's not really about Tobias. Like, she really cares about Tobias. Oh, yeah. It's just about how she feels unsettled with how she's changing. And mm, this is, like, yeah. the problem of the week that allows her to think about it. Because yeah. she's not going to think about... She's, she would never put it quite as directly as you just did. <laughs> she does call him her boyfriend. She does. <sighs> she's, like, my, I guess, boyfriend? But she uses that word. But then, like, several paragraphs later, she says, he's my friend, my fellow warrior. And you're like, what? There are just many things that he is to her. <laughs> it's like how, you know... Your husband can be your best friend. I, so I just wanted to say that clearly the ghostwriters ship it. Because, oh, yeah. Because in 25, he was like, you've got your honey all warm on your back or whatever. <laughs> and then in, in 27 now, he's like, boyfriend, I guess. And I feel like the, the ghostwriters ship Tobias and Rachel much more than Jake and Cassie. Just based on these two Ooh, books so far. So let's, let's track that and okay, see. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll pay Yeah, there wasn't a lot of Jake and Cassie in this book. Or, I mean, maybe Apple Grant were like, okay, it's, you know, we've been really excited to write the uh, really shippy Rachel Tobias books ourselves, but we'll just have to make sure to put in every outline, <laughs> advance the Rachel Tobias romance. We also just but, had a really shippy Jake and Cassie No, books, I know, I and, know. But, so it makes sense, mm-hmm. yeah. Can I say the other thing that I really don't like about TT? Mm-hmm. So besides his, like, corniness at the beginning, mm-hmm. and also this, he holds his, his arms out and says, don't worry, I'll catch you. And uh, she's like, I do not need you to ha- catch me. She, like, pushes his arms aside and then refuses to take his hand. Yes, which, good job. Her. And then I was going to give him credit at the end. I was. He comes back at the very end and he's like... Uh, hey, I wonder if you might want to go to the movies with me after all. Moxie. Sometimes, you know, you ask again. Very good. And then she says, no. 
And he called me a name I've been called before. <laughs> then he took off. I was pretty sure he wouldn't ask me out again. Hey. Hey, buddy. Hey. Yeah. Also, Tobias then riffs on that. Which, <laughs> like, maybe that's something Marco would do. But Tobias, you gotta swoop in there and be like, that was really inappropriate. He should not have said that to you. Yes. Come make out with me in the sky. Exactly. <laughs> what is going on there? Okay, I was of two minds about that. Because clearly it didn't bother her when Tobias said that. Like, it felt like it was yeah. part of their dynamic. And it's maybe, like, a questionable part of their dynamic. But I feel like he knows her well enough, maybe, to know that, like, this isn't going to hurt her. It has never been part of their dynamic before. That's true. Tobias yeah. has always been very accepting of Rachel as she is. Mm-hmm. In a non-derogatory way. But he also really likes cranky Rachel. And he likes how tough she is and how much she stands up for herself. I feel like that's what he was getting at. Sure, but he likes all of those things without calling her names. Yeah, that's that true. Is, that was one of the, t- the points where I was like, nope, not how Tobias jokes with her. He jokes with yeah. her. He definitely likes it when she's cranky. But this is not how he does that. And also... Let's not normalize the, if you say no to men, they get to call you names. No, no. Yeah. No, no. Women are allowed to say yeah. no. Go away. Yeah. yeah. Well, and he they're also, also is... allowed to say no in a really mean way. Right? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Which Rachel, she does. like, snaps at the guy. It's not, she's not just like, oh, no, like, and she's then. like, hey, do you speak English? How many ways do I have to say no? Although, right. I have to complain, because I really hate this thing when authors are like, I meant to say one thing, but something else came out of my mouth. <laughs> like, I meant to say, yes, I'll go out with you. But instead, I made this really, like, harsh comment. Most of the time, I have more control than that over what comes out of my mouth. Yeah, I don't know if I can defend the thing where I thought that this was, like, a really cute banter moment between Tobias and Rachel, but I did. I mean, it's banter. I just didn't feel like this was really representative of the banter that they have previously had. Mm -hmm. And also, I was very annoyed by the whole scene. I also just watched Pagliacci this week, and so I'm, like, feeling sensitive about this. Uh No, there's a lot there to feel sensitive about. That's, That's legit. Their underwater banter is very good, though. Wait, before we move on to that, can we talk about how I did really like how Tobias calls the guy cute? It's like, hey, he was cute, which is like being like secure on a number of levels. And yeah. that he, this guy is a potential rival. And also he's a guy calling another guy cute. Mm-hmm. I and guess I was reading guy. it more like just sarcastic Tobias because <laughs> the guy just showed how much of a Yeah, and yeah. she had already rejected him. So it was pretty safe for Tobias. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he's being very yeah. flippant about it. I had one other terminology thing. Rachel says at the beginning, I was going if you can even use that word. Yeah. With a guy who spent most of his time riding the thermals. And somebody called me out for saying that they might be going steady. Rachel clearly almost says it here. <laughs> oh, I think going with is like an expression on its yes. own. But it's not, I don't it's know that I've ever used it. basically the same thing. It's a different term. I put that into my notes in the section entitled 60s references, apparently. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Okay, but let's talk about their underwater banter. It's really quite the conversation yeah. that they have here. It's amazing. This felt much more like the banter we had seen from them in the past, mm-hmm. where Tobias accepts that their relationship is weird, and he is providing her a sounding board for her feelings about, in this case, this dude, and not taking it personally that she has a life that isn't about him. What's interesting is that because this is told from Rachel's perspective and not Tobias's, I didn't have a good read on whether he was being playful or whether he was saying those things because he feels as a bird that he needs to give her the space 
to date other guys if she wants to. Yeah, I felt like this wasn't good communication they were engaging in under the water here. Like, it was very much like, like, she clearly wants to bring it up, but also doesn't quite mean to and, like, says it without really thinking and then is like, crap, I shouldn't have said that. And then it's like, what does that stupid name stand for? She's like, I don't care. And he's like, well, you should care if you're going out with him. She's like, well, I'm not. And he's like, why not? She's like, well, why do you want to know? And he's like, I don't want to know. I don't care. Like, it's very, like... Neither of them is really willing to say what they're actually feeling about this. Well, and then it Mm -hmm. it ends with the classic, if you don't want to know, then I'm just not going to tell you. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, they're still figuring out, like, I don't know what conversations they've had since 23, where she was like, be a human for me. And he's like, no. Mm -hmm. So maybe he feels like he doesn't have the right to ask her for stuff because he's not becoming the person that she wanted him to be. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just that 23 is the exception. Rachel doesn't talk about like alternatives to these kinds of things and she doesn't think about them Uh right and i don't necessarily see tobias like trying to push a let's define our relationship oh yeah no (laughs) so i think it's more she just gets in this circumstance where she has an emotional response to tt that's surprisingly positive and then she doesn't want to sit down and think it through and so she what we see her doing is flailing around trying to like make sense of it and so it's more that like She's not, like, regretting... She's not sitting around daydreaming about, oh, what if Tobias was human and we could, like, go to the mall? Like, maybe another guy would be better for me. It's just, like, when forced by TT to confront the idea at all, she gets, mm-hmm. like, super uncomfortable and starts overreacting. I mean, she does think about it a lot, and I kind of liked some of her reflections on it. She's like, why hadn't I said yes? And she's like, that was easy, because I'm all kinds of things, but I'm not disloyal. Mm-hmm. And she says, yet the images in my mind would not go away, especially images of eyes that would look into mine and not glare with the furious intensity of a predator. Just like, what a compelling thing, like, to want. To just be able to, like, look into the eyes of the person you care about and have them actually look like human eyes that are reflecting their emotions. But then, on the flip side, you get to the end, and T.T. has just asked her out again. And Mm -hmm. she says, he really was cute and so normal, so not biased. He'd almost certainly never eaten a mouse. On the other hand, he'd never morphed a sperm whale and gone to the bottom of the ocean while his brain was reeling with barely suppressed terror just so he could look out for me. So nice. I also, the pointing out Tobias's eyes and what she wants is great because when she, I think it's pretty clear that Rachel fell for Tobias before the book started because of his eyes. Because when she describes him in the beginning, she's like, uh, a guy with feathers, talents, a fierce curved beak. And sometimes, for almost two hours at a shot, unruly dirty blonde hair and hurt tender hopeful eyes. And that's the descriptor she uses in, is it the second book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time, yeah. There's a lot about eyes in this. There's actually two other eye contact moments that Rachel has that I think are really nice. One's actually mm-hmm. with a Hork warrior that she's yes. fighting. Yes. Yeah. Was, yeah. Which is quite a nice and slightly odd moment in the middle of a battle where the she's fighting kind of hand-to-hand combat with this hork warrior, and then they stop. For one brief moment, our eyes met, and suddenly, eerily, we were more than warriors on separate sides. We were each other. Which doesn't make overly much sense, but I liked it. <laughs> That's um, kind of how I felt about it, yeah. But then also, uh, there's the her and Tobias making eye contact when they are drawing straws, Mm -hmm. who is going to to turn into the sperm whale and go find a squid. And I would like to talk about that whole scene. Yes, please. That would be okay. Mm. There's also a moment when she makes eye contact with the whale. Mm. I didn't write it down. When it's beached. And they arrive at the beach. 
Yeah. And it's like, I looked in this whale's eye and I could just tell it was there because of us. Hmm. The straw scene Oof. was really interesting. So they're, they're drawing straws because they only... They only need two people to morph the sperm whale, which is dumb. They should have just sent everyone. They're drawing straws because Jake is sometimes kind of dumb. <laughs> we have talked about this before. This is at least the third time they've drawn straws. And I continue to say that if you're going to use this stupid-ass way to make decisions, rig it. <laughs> no, that's why he gets so well, mad. Because he was trying to rig it. And oh. Tobias helped Rachel cheat. Yeah, rig it better. How was he trying oh, to he rig it? he was trying to rig it? I think so. He was going to He was gonna save a straw for himself. Oh, yeah. yeah. I and think it was going to be him. Yeah. Yeah. It was going to be okay. Rachel. It doesn't make any sense that Tobias helps Rachel cheat. First, because just because hawks have good eyesight, yeah. doesn't like it's not like you can see through hands He's or not like psychic. you can, yeah, like. And also the thing where Cassie already picked a straw, so there must have been five straws. They've already decided action go. Cassie already picked a straw. Marco already picked a straw. They were both long straws. So there are two short straws and a long straw left. I guess. So first of all, it's not even unrealistic that like Tobias and Rachel would have gotten the, the short straws. But also, then they, Rachel and Tobias pick straws. Jake lets the other straws fall. Like, how many straws were you holding, Jake? That's yeah. not how drawing straws works. <laughs> I completely missed that. That's hilarious. <laughs> I was, like, ready to defend the scene, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, you should have just, like, they could have just had Rachel and Tobias draw the straws first. And this then... is like when they played rock, paper, scissors with three people <laughs> once, and it decided who got chosen <laughs> without talking about it. <laughs> It's exactly like that, and it yeah. me every time. But I do, I do like this. So Rachel's like glaring at Tobias, like clearly asking mm-hmm. him to help her cheat, and Tobias is like, "No, I'm not going to help you get yourself killed." And mm-hmm. she glares some more, and he's like, "Fine." And he tells her which straw is the short one, and then he also draws a short straw. And she wasn't expecting that, and she realizes he cheated to pick the short straw for himself. And we've already, we'd already established like Tobias is really afraid of water. Like all of his worst things involve being underwater. I just want to throw in a quick hand for Axe, who, when they say they're going to draw straws, says, ah, the human scientific method. <laughs> he jokes now. Yes. Yes. That's yes. several jokes, actually. It's endlight sarcasm. It's been established. That's I love how it, it works. I'm so happy for yep. him. It was great. So, Tobias <laughs> also picks a short straw. Fine. Mm-hmm. In one of the many moments of foreshadowing in this book, Rachel says, Later, I would be kind of touched by that loyal gesture, but right then I was just mad. Tobias was risking his own life because I was a jerk enough to make him cheat for me. Okay. Yeah. Again, a couple things. One, you had a two in three chance to yeah. get a short straw. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make any much. sense. You were probably going to get one of those straws. And also, he gets to make his own decisions. Like, yeah. you're not in charge of that. That is Rachel being protective, and I totally get that. But, yeah. like, he gets to make some decisions. Right. But it's so interesting that she doesn't connect those dots, no. right? It's like very <laughs> no. much like, yeah, well, I have to do the dangerous thing because that's my role in the group, right. and yeah. your role is to be my fragile little bird boyfriend, and I get to say that you stay because <laughs> it makes you scared. But I get to take one care of the you. reasons that she thinks about why she likes him at the end is because he is, he does do this, like, mm-hmm. brave thing. It's mm-hmm. not that he, it's not that she actually wants him to be fragile and in need of protection. She just thinks she does. She, she is upset at the idea of him. And I, I get, Especially, like, he's doing this because she was a jerk and, like, got him to cheat for her. Like, mm. her bad behavior resulted in him doing this. I can see why she would feel bad, and in her, that would manifest as anger. I'm also not well, sure that logically it. follows, right? Because whether or not he helped her cheat, I can't see how that would affect his decision. Well, I think he probably decided to help her cheat because his thought process was like, I'm not going to send her to get herself killed. And then she, he was like, she might, like, go to get herself killed anyway. If I help her cheat, I can go with her. Right. Yeah. 
But the, the thought process there is not, because I helped her cheat, therefore I have to go. It's because she's going, therefore I have to go. Right, but she's going because she got him to cheat for her. Sure, but right. I mean, it, it doesn't but make all, sense. She's a... she's his friend, and she's asking him to do her a favor, right? Like <laughs> it's not it's not like he's trying to map it out. It's just like it's the, it's like the thing where you know Rachel starts morphing a grizzly bear, and Jake's like, "Okay, battle morphs everyone." Right? She's like making a decision and trying yeah. to, through force of personality, carry people yeah. with her, and right. like it's hard to say no to that. Exactly. I I think part of the reason that I was so like confused by that logic is that mm. Jake then immediately uses the same very questionable logic yeah. to yell at her in a way that was the, was one of the first times where I was like, I think this is ghostwritten. Oh, uh. no, the logic makes perfect sense to me because he is going because she's going. Right. She's going because she cheated. She feels bad because, and also As he she probably, should. he probably wouldn't have cheated to go if she hadn't asked him for that. Like he might've just like, you know, tried to pick blindly or whatever. He deliberately chose because he had helped her deliberately choose. It makes perfect sense to me. All right. I mean, but my headcanon is that Jake was cheating, maybe not so that he would go, but at least so that Tobias would wouldn't go. go. And so yep, it's yep. totally hypocritical anger that he's like, no, I wanted to do this so Tobias wouldn't have to go, and you messed oh. it up. Right. I did think that the thing, um, yeah, so Jake pulls her aside, is like, don't ever do that again. It's your fault Tobias is going. Remember that the next time you decide to make fools of the rest of us. And then she says, Jake doesn't get mad much. When he does, it sticks in your mind. This reminds me of the thing in 25 where Jake yells at Axe. Mm -hmm. And Marco's like, yeah, Jake doesn't yell that much. When he does, it's noticeable. I wonder if this is how Apple Grant deals with like, oh, the ghostwriter had Jake do a thing that was uncharacteristic. He doesn't do this a lot. When he does, it's weird. It's oh, so funny. Because they're like, okay, that. yeah, I don't want to have to rewrite the scene so Jake doesn't get mad because then you have to like restructure it and have a different like button on this scene. And okay, well, we'll just uh, call out that it's rare. Yeah, I mean, that seems fair enough. It's also that whole, the whole phrasing of his yelling at her seemed very much not like how Jake talks and not like how a teenager talks. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. this is, you know, your parents are so, disappointed in you. To me, like, I have to take that, I have to take that Jake is losing his temper more mm-hmm. as kind of like, that's what's actually happening to Jake. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to resist that in terms yeah, of like, oh, the we, ghostwriters are wrong about who he is. Yeah. But I, I totally agree about the way he puts it. Yeah. Right. So like, to yeah. me, this is like, there's an arc here of like, Jake is either becoming more controlling or becoming more angry because it has come up. Twice yeah. in three books, mm-hmm. right? So we'll see if it goes anywhere. Bit, he's but. a little bit humorless in this book. Like he doesn't, he doesn't participate as much in their really fun Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea conversation that we talked about. And he's just like looking at his wrist and being like TikTok. And my impression of that was like, okay, yeah, this his job is really hard. It's really, yeah. really getting to him. Like when they're in this dire situation, he's the one who feels the weight of it the most. Everyone else can kind of relax a little because Jake is the one sort of in charge of it. And it's also like this is the whole situation that they're in is one of those. There's no way out. Like there's mm-hmm. there's no time. They have to do it by 10 p.m. or it's all over. Mm-hmm. They run. They keep running out of ideas, and then yeah. the only reason they can keep going is because someone's setting them up, so they yeah. know they're walking yeah. into a trap yeah. to some extent, right? Yeah. So like, and Jake's the one who has to think about that the most. So yeah. he's he's the tensest. That's why Cryak wants him gone. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of Rachel stuff about about violence. She's very explicit about how much she's been thinking about it. She and says that she's worried she's becoming addicted, addicted to violence. To it, yeah. mm-hmm. Like before that I was like, it sounds like she thinks she's getting addicted to it. And then she said, <laughs> Do I have an addiction to violence? I wondered. <laughs> like funny. <laughs> the thing that I so like it's really good. I feel like the first couple of chapters, in addition to setting up the Rachel and Tobias tension, also mm-hmm. do a pretty good job of summarizing Rachel's arc to date, where she's like, yeah. Hey, 
Turns out I've like lucked into this part of my life that I never would have had outside mm-hmm. of these exceptional circumstances. It turns mm-hmm. out I'm good at it and I love it. Mm-hmm. And what kind of monster does that make me? Yeah, right? yeah. And then like it's been scaring her that she likes it so much. And she says lately it's been scaring her. And yeah, we saw that in 22. We didn't see it in 17. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. 17, she was grappling with fear, but she wasn't yet feeling like her violent tendencies were a problem. And then 22 really drives that home. Yeah. And here it's like, I've been trying to be better and not succeeding. Right? She's like, yeah, yeah gymnastics, uh, shopping. Uh. At the same time, she's definitely chafing against these expectations. There's a part where... She's sort of poo-pooing the plan, and mm-hmm. someone, my probably Marco, is giving her crap about it. Jake, actually. Was it Jake? Yeah, and Jake says, she's like, it's a suicide mission. It's like, saving the cheese is going to be a suicide mission, Jake said, glaring at me. You're overreacting, Rachel. And her jaw drops. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, there's a part where she says, wasn't I allowed to be cautious? No, of course not. I'm supposed to be a reckless fighting machine, and fighting machines don't feel caution or fear. And even if they do, they don't advertise it. And I just, like, can't imagine being put in a situation where you're not allowed to be honest about your feelings. I mean, she almost dies twice in this book. Everyone almost dies twice in this book. But she gets, like, shot in the head point blank at least once and possibly twice as an elephant. Yeah, and she has to go down to really scary depths as a squid three times. Yeah. Or, oh, sorry, twice was as a whale, then as a squid. But it's, it's like she's been put in this position and she repeatedly puts herself in this position. Like she is constantly yeah. not wanting to admit she's afraid. She's like Cassie jokes about how she's like the kid in the class raising their hand being like, pick me. And she it's like, you know, I'll go. I'll go do the dangerous thing. And she doesn't seem to be able to stop this side of her. But then it's also reinforced by the group. Like mm-hmm. when she does try to say, hang on, this is really dangerous and scary. They're like, what are you, no, you're overreacting. What are you doing? Can we talk a little bit about that battle scene in the middle of the book? Woof. Because I feel like this is a new take on this from the Animorphs, but they're caught in crossfire with guns. So like guns don't come up a lot, except like Dracon beams, which are not not as dangerous as guns, I guess, (laughs) which seems weird. Um, Well, they just miss a lot more. But it's one of those fights that's really, really bad. Yeah. Like within a chapter, Rachel's like, okay, I've been shot in the head, and Cassie and Marco are probably dead. They're at least not responsive. So how are we going to get out of this? And carry an android who can't move herself. Yeah, it's one of the things where they're like, this won't be that bad, and then it goes really badly really quickly. It's very bad. I also mean this with all due respect to the Animorphs. How have they not gotten killed yet? Yeah. This is how badly it goes when they're caught between, like, a couple of thieves or drug criminals or whatever Mm -hmm, they are mm -hmm. in, like, an abandoned building and, like, a few squad cars worth of guys. Sometimes there are 30 Hork-Bajir. Yeah. But they can kill the Hork-Bajir. They would feel bad if they killed a bunch of innocent people. Although it's pretty clear that a lot of these police officers are controllers. Well, one of them is Or at least one. Yeah. 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 It just seems like there's a lot of gunfire and they do still feel more squeamish about killing human, human controllers, controllers than her controllers, even though at this point that's not very justified. Just, I do not know how they keep surviving things. Well, yeah, they also tend to do a worse job when they go in being like, this will be an easy fight. Yeah. Don't, don't well, say so that. Also, on like 15 minutes prep, right? They that's true. The they, yeah, that's recon, right, yeah. You know. And also, it's a weird, like, normally they're just trying to escape with their lives, Mm -hmm. which is much easier to do. This is like a weird, we have to get in, find a person, and rescue her. 
type thing. So it's like they have to put themselves in a lot more danger than they Mm -hmm. usually would. Yeah, and this is also, it's such a different environment than they're used to fighting. Like, they don't really have a lot of context for this. So it makes sense that it's... Although it's pretty awesome when Rachel emerges from the building with a gorilla, a wolf, (laughs) and an android on her back. (laughs) And then picks up Axe as a skunk (laughs) and uses it as, like... A spray bottle. You know what else <laughs> is awesome? When Tobias manages to stop the entire battle by stealing a cop's gun, yes! and flying through the air, just making people afraid that he's going to shoot them. <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Axe and Tobias saving the day. Yeah, and we had talked about how like why don't they ever use the skunk as like an offensive weapon? And this was this was perfect. Okay. So before she gets saved by Axe as the skunk, right, she's facing down the police officer who's controlling. It's like, uh-huh. I'm going to kill you, Andalite, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And Rachel, what? So basically, so she she thinks, um, the, the controller says, you have no hope of escape. Your friends are dead and you're next. And Rachel thinks, I didn't want to die, but better to die like a warrior. And then she mm-hmm. picks up the nonviolent android and... <sighs> Is about to bludgeon a police officer controller <laughs> to death. Wow, I hadn't really made that. In like a suicide a, charge. Yeah. Before Axe saves her, right? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty low point for Rachel to get to, right? Yeah. It's, it's really grim, right? She's like, mm-hmm. okay, I accept my death. I'm going to go out fighting, mm-hmm. right? I also want to point out that one of the reasons that she is so very angry and willing to charge in this scenario is because Cassie has been yeah. yeah, And there are a couple of moments in this where the the reason that Rachel loses it is uh-huh. because of Cassie. So Cassie gets shot the first time, and Rachel hears it, and she's like, someone someone shot Cassie, and she just knocks over an entire wall yeah. to get to her and protect her. And then at this moment, she thinks Cassie has maybe been killed. He, he killed my best friend. And she's like, fine. All right. Well, you're not getting to the chi, and that's when she yeah. makes the decision. And he's, to she's like, "I'm going to get that cop." Like yeah. she's like yeah. specifically wants to get the cop that shot Cassie. But that to me, that's almost like a she couldn't deal with. She wouldn't be able to go on without her friends to protect. Yeah. It's like she's willing to get herself killed, right? If yeah. she thinks that it's gotten that bad, that's better for her than going <laughs> on. Right? She knows how to die a warrior. She doesn't know how to like live on in grief. Mm, yeah. Friend. This is the third book in a row where Cassie has been the sort of damsel in distress. Mm. Like, she was the wolf being where the, like, cold mist was approaching and Rachel walks through and saves her. She, like, gets shot down in 26 and, like, causes Jake to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to die, but take the howlers down with me. And now, and now again. Mm. And that's, it's not like that's the only role she ever plays. And I think part of it does, no, actually, no, I was going to say part of it has to do with her choice of battle morphs. I don't think that's really true. I think it's because of how Rachel feels about Cassie. I do want to say the Battle Morph thing. They've all got elephants and rhinos now. Yeah. Right? What yeah. are they doing? Polar bears. And polar bears. I keep wondering, like, when are we going to upgrade the wolf to something larger? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's I a can very see good morph why... for Cassie, but I feel like it, especially can... after she gets knocked out so many times, you yeah. think that someone would say to her, like, come on. I can see why Marco keeps doing the gorilla because it has, like, dexterity that none of the other morphs have. Mm -hmm. But he also, again, got stabbed. He gets stabbed, like, every bug. Mm -hmm. He got stabbed twice in 26, like, really brutally. He's like, his intestines are always spilling out. Like, I I think he probably shouldn't change his morph, but, like, man, that is is rough. They they have the battle morphs for thematic personality reasons, right? right? Like, you can't change it. 
And, like, we could talk a little bit more about Jake now sort of having a second battle morph. Like, his rhino is, like, mm. has come up a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. But yeah. everyone else, they stick to the one thing. And Rachel, and Rachel changed elephant from elephant to grizzly yeah. bear. Right, right, right. Yeah. But it's, Just like, that. very significant when they change. And so mm-hmm. yeah, if I Cassie mean, Rachel, ever gets another Rachel morph, uses both. But, yes, you're right. It would be a it big would be character a significant moment. shift. Even though logistically it makes right. sense. They wouldn't do it for logistical reasons. My right. always complaint about these books is that's very nice characteristically, but logistically <laughs> maybe... Uh, just something different. You know, if Rachel thought she was going to die, she should have just morphed the giant anteater. <laughs> <laughs> Pull the plug on that one already, guys. Okay, Let's see but, what happens. But she was concerned because she didn't know if Marco and Cassie were dead, and she didn't want to stomp them. So probably the giant anteater would have yeah, had bad <laughs> results. One last Cassie and Rachel thing, which is when Cassie is waking up from being almost dead, mm-hmm. uh, she calls for Rachel and not for Jake. Oh, <laughs> there was also um, a Cassie Marco thing where um, Rachel's like, oh, no, Cassie is like in serious trouble here. And Marco's like, here, give her to me, Marco said, appearing beside me and taking Cassie in his arms. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm still like low key shipping that a little bit, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. Jake really and Cassie moment. were so cute in 26, just because I love the effect that Cassie has on Marco's personality. Yeah. There was one moment of tension between Rachel and Cassie. Did you guys catch it? Yes. When Rachel becomes a squid and can't turn off the aggressive (laughs) squid brain. And then Cassie's like, Rachel, snap out of it. Rachel's like, I was just, and Cassie's like, I know what you were just. I had to deal with that too. And I didn't lose it. I didn't try to eat you. you. Right, right, right. So it's it's so interesting because like Cassie and Rachel, they have like the purest friendship. And I feel like we've never seen Cassie retort like this (laughs) before so it's a high it's a high stress situation for everybody this reminds me of when they morph the seagulls and rachel (laughs) sees the like open bag of lay's barbecue potato chips with two chips left and she like goes over and someone says like rachel deal (laughs) um before we move on past the uh the the fight in the bad neighborhood um i was Interested. This is like the first time I think we've seen them go into like a difficult area of town, that kind of thing. And there's like a kind of extended description about yeah. it. And Rachel says, even the air felt different here, darker, grayer, heavy with the absence of hope. This battlefield had already been claimed by the enemy. And suddenly I wasn't so sure we could take it back. Which was really interesting, like a conflation of enemies there. Like I don't think the implication was this has been claimed by controllers, even though the one like fence, I guess, that like was gonna be raided by the police. Like he like they were pretty sure he was a controller, but like it seems to be like the Yerks are the same as like human crime and poverty and like Mm. it was elitism is showing. I uh, Yeah. yeah. I was really struck by what she says after that, which is I was glad Axe wasn't there. I didn't want to have to explain this to him. Which was, like, a really interesting sort of moment of, like, I don't want to have to explain to Axe why people live in such poverty. Yeah, I don't think it's quite... I mean, there's definitely some elitism in there. But I think there's also, like, human income inequality is an evil. and But it's not the same evil as the Yerks. And well, so yes, no, I don't think you yeah. can... Yeah. I, I'm in trouble taking seriously because of something that happens later. So, like, when they're running through... I love it when they cause chaos and people have, like, funny remarks. But, like, uh-huh. one of the people is like, oh, man, I don't need a drink this bad. Which mm-hmm. is, like, mm-hmm. it just feels, like, shoehorned in to this, like, oh, I'm just gonna, like, draw in a bunch of cliches about yeah, what, like, yeah. a drug den is like. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I feel like the text does not uses this purely as set dressing uh-huh. and does not go out of its yeah. way to provide any empathy to the 
the various characters. I had a little bit of a hope that what Rachel was thinking when she didn't want to explain this to Axe was how people can treat their fellow humans badly enough that uh, they are living in this okay. state of poverty, but also... But that's kind of how I got it, how I read it, but maybe that's yeah. not what she meant. Maybe it's not, but I, I hope it is. There's also that part where they're talking about how this android lives as a homeless woman by choice. Uh-huh. And the Animorphs are like, oh, that's so terrible for her. And I think it was Mr. King or Eric says, oh, it's okay. In her last, like, life, she was a beautiful movie star. Yeah, not really. Uh, yeah. All right. I did. I did like. So I don't think this was intentionally an empathetic portrayal. But they describe a chalk-skinned, blank-eyed guy, too stoned to even move, just laying there staring at me. I picked him up by the ankle and tossed him out the hole in the wall. I didn't want to accidentally step on the guy. Didn't you kill him by throwing him? No, I just. I just love. You know, the the guy's super high. Yeah. It's like, what is happening to me? There's an elephant. Right. What did they put? What did they put in this stuff, right? It's great. There was a moment, she says, a dark shape rushed right in front of me. He was not wearing a uniform. I whipped my trunk and caught him in the belly. And I was like, what is implied there? Is it that she, like, wouldn't have attacked him if he were wearing a uniform? Or, like, she would have attacked him either way? This is just context for, like, who this person is? I feel like cops are presented fairly neutrally in this, which is a little jarring to read about cops in, a like, a way that's supposed to be neutral in 2019. But... Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine how that scene would have played to me in the 90s, Mm -hmm. especially given how naive I was about... I think I just didn't really register that much. And I would have been like, oh, this is like one of the TV shows I watch where the police are shooting at the bad guys and yada, yada, yada. And then reading it now, I was just like, oh, this is a lot of gun violence involving police and it's stressing me out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For like, what Exactly was the reason again that there's going to be a raid on this place, and why are they shooting everybody uh, in it? That I guess there's a Strake, is that his name? Yes. Who is probably a controller. Who's like a thief. Um, oh yeah, he's definitely a controller. Yeah. He's a thief, and so they're raiding, I guess, to like arrest him or something. But right, also, drugs. The, also there is a controller on the police side. So, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, how does this further what the Yerks are doing? I don't know if the Yerks can, like, pull like, all of the strings on the police force. No, but I mean, like, why are they, are they turning the people who come to this place into controllers? And I don't think it was a Yerk operation. Right. But, like, why is a Yerk spending any time continuing the criminal activity? Like, I don't know. It That's doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Well, it says in the book that they want to have, like, their hands in every part of human society. Yeah. And so they placed this person in the criminal underbelly mm-hmm. so that they could have access to that population for mm-hmm. whatever reason. I don't probably really, the like, police raid was not planned by the police Yerk, but he went along to make sure that, you know, his fellow Yerk didn't die or something. Yeah, probably. Speaking of tension between Rachel and Cassie, which we were a while ago. The moment that I thought you were referencing, Ted, was um, the moment when they're discussing the Pemolite ship and uh, they learn that, <laughs> I really like this, Mr. King gave us an access code that'll get us onto the main computer, Jake said, his tone sardonic. Everyone memorize it. Six. Six, I said. Six, he confirmed. <laughs> and then Rachel's like, that is dumb, uh, basically. And 
They trusted, Cassie said simply. They're dead, I said just as simply. Mm. That's what I thought you were. I've forgotten about uh, the, mm-hmm. the giant squid thing. I'm not going to lie. I, uh, that was one of the many. <laughs> so my note there was Cassie and Rachel, folks. Yep, um, yep. Because it's, a, a, it's a very good Cassie and Rachel moment. But I also got to say, I agree with Rachel here. Yeah. Kind of dumb. No. I mean, they did not <laughs> die because of their bad security practices. <laughs> yeah. They died because they were pacifists. Like, um, Cryak did not hack them to death. He <laughs> sent the Howlers after them, and they were brutally murdered. Right? Like, they were torn to pieces by Howlers. Yes. It was not it, like a disinformation a campaign that started where they got into the head penalizing <laughs> house. Yes. Right? It's a good point. I do have questions about how that happened, given what we see of their ship security later on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because... Well, yeah. Well, we should talk about that. That's well, I also, I enjoy that while they're on the Pemolite ship, Marco is like, hey, Axe, this is kind of like a dome ship. And Axe says, yes, we had to make room for weapons, which is why Andalites still exist and Pemolites do not. Axe was extremely defensive and also just offensive the entire time that they were in the Pemolite ship. He really had very little patience for uh, Pemolite practices. Oh yeah, Tobias says, kind of like your dome ship, only much cooler. Tobias. <laughs> and Axe is like, yeah, well, we had to make room for weapons. And he's like, there must be a bridge. Even these space-going children had to have a bridge. And then it turns out it's in a tree. Axe is like, this is absurd. The bridge is a tree trunk. We Andalites love trees, but this is ludicrous. <laughs> and then Marco's like, oh, okay, let's push this button. And Axe is like, no, no, let me take care of this. <laughs> and then the ship starts talking to them. Oh, it's amazing. Like, greetings, friends. We are happy to have you aboard. However, we would not want you to access this panel. It is possible that you might accidentally do yourself harm. And that would be so sad. Axe punched in the number six. That is the correct code. Our concerns were misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I went on a real ride with this spaceship, <laughs> yes. I have to say, because the first, you know, you're like, oh, it's a, it's shaped like Snoopy, mm-hmm. by the way. Amazing. Wait, 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 wait. We have to look up the picture now. Okay, hold on. There's a picture? There's a picture. The inside the cover. So it's great. Oh, you have it. we do have it. Uh, yeah. Go, let's go look at it. It's just so delightful. Oh my God. Wow. I love the little paws. It is. Oh, it's so cute. What would you have predicted There's if you'd ears. seen this? What a great question. <laughs> right. Would you have made the puppy Pamelite connection? The puppy Pamelite. The puppy Pamelite connection. Kermit's new song. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Kermit will never find it. So. <laughs> no, it's way too deep for a frog. Yeah. Which we should come back to. I would have been confused because giant squid are bigger than this. Or, or the ship is just real big. I mean, the ship is really big, but also they managed to be in giant squid-sized bubbles, all oh, six of them going around the ship. The ship yeah. is not that big. Yeah, no. And also, Maybe the bubbles they... shrink them a little. Okay. Um, <laughs> also, sure. on this picture, then, the fish are huge. Right? Uh, that's a good point. Giant squid are called giant squid for a reason. Like, this so is... So they're bigger than the giant anteaters, but smaller than the giant giant anteaters. Yes. Okay. Large enough that they could take down Rachel as a sperm whale. Right. Yeah, yeah do, no, you're regularly. right. There's some problems of scale here. There are lots of problems of I scale with the that. whole ship. But, okay, so it's cute. It's like a puppy-shaped ship. It's and so then you cute. go in and it's, like, Dr. Seuss-themed, right? All uh-huh. these, like, crazy colors and I trees. I we need to read the we description read. of the inside. Yeah. Do you want to read it, Lauren? Sure. Beyond the bubble was a world of magic. Lush green and purple grass carpeted the floor, forming patterns. Swirls, checkerboards, Picasso-like abstracts, and Van Gogh flowers. Trees and bushes in Crayola colors grew in thickets and hushed groves. 
A sparkling river meandered through the center of the ship, cascading down into a gentle waterfall and a rippling lake below. Everywhere, there were inexplicable, brightly colored, gaily lit machines that could only be toys of some sort. Beside us, wafting through the air, were things like long, feathered snakes. Projected on the arch ceiling, far overhead, were patterns of clouds and skies like nothing on Earth. Were they designed by cloud artists? <laughs> Maybe. But okay, so like, the, the trip was, oh, that's an interesting ship. Oh, the inside is really cool. And then it starts talking. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's very cool, but it's also very annoying. And then I at the it. end, I loved it. when it kicks Visser 3 off, I was like, okay, annoying, but also hilarious. So <laughs> I like the ship very much. Wait, I want to talk about the hostility containment program. Yes! yes! Because I think it brings up... Really interesting questions. Right. So the whole yeah. the whole thing that... The whole, like, Pamelite propaganda is, right? They're the ho- most highly evolved species of all time. And uh-huh, they were so uh-huh. peaceful and playful uh-huh. and great like this. And it's not that they were, like, evolved to be perfectly nonviolent. They're perfectly aware of violence. And their technology is so advanced that they have a- the absolute control to do whatever they want to anybody else. <laughs> and that's a great system if you have guaranteed benevolent leaders in control of that technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that's not the case. <laughs> so the, it's like this idea that the Pemelites are like so good, you know, the only reason this works is mm-hmm. because the Pemelites are the strongest one in the room. And so if anyone ever invents stronger technology or anyone ever gets control of this who's not a Pemelite, right. then they will Through have created something. Through their security code. Terrible. Right. Yeah. Well, and this is the reason that it's such it's such an urgent mission is that if the Yerks get their hands on Chi technology or Pemelite mm-hmm. technology, they will be essentially unstoppable, which, as it turns out, is an accurate fear. So my question about the nonviolent thing, I was like, yeah, okay, so why do you even have this if you're so highly evolved that you're not violent at all? And then I was like, okay, no, but they're aware of violence. They yeah. put this prohibition on the chi. Clearly they know it's a thing. And I was like, oh, no. I, there's, like, a dark interpretation and, like, a less dark interpretation. And the really dark interpretation is that it's not that they evol- they're so evolved that they're nonviolent. There's, like, a dystopian situation where they just have this technology so that they can't be violent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's possible that, no, that's not the case. It's not that their whole planet is under this, like, hostility containment field. It might just be that they have this technology. And, of course, if you want to be nonviolent, then you have to have some way to keep other people from starting violence against you. It's the cycle they were talking about in 23, where it's like, they push, you push back. If you want to not have to push back, you have to keep them from pushing. And I was like, okay, I guess this makes sense. That maybe they're, Maybe it's not that dark. But... Ted, that's a really good point that, like, you don't give them any props for being nonviolent if, like, the way you do it is by controlling everyone else. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I want to talk, actually, read out what this is, right? Mm-hmm. So they're in the middle of this battle. Eric shows up. He pushes a button. And all of a sudden, everything's moving in slow motion, right? Like mm-hmm. Jenny said earlier. I'd like to read out to you what the robot voice of the ship says. Oh, please. Very please funny. do. Chief self-destruct disabled. And we are very sorry to say that the hostility containment program has been activated what a shame to spoil our lovely time with fighting. <laughs> Once repairs have been made on all injured parties, we will have to ask you to leave the ship. <laughs> and then the Pemelite ship carefully, politely, regretfully packed the Yerks, including a furiously enraged Visser 3, back into their modified bug fighters. And then, I'll kill you all! I'll take the ship apart, piece by piece! I'll be back and nothing will stop me! You'll die, all of you! Andalite and... And whoever runs the ship, I'll kill you all, Visser 3 said repeatedly. We are so sorry you had a bad time, the ship said. Perhaps we can meet again someday and enjoy some pleasant activities together. 
hilarious. Love the ship. It Very good. Was but amazing. if you have the technology to freeze an entire battlefield, why didn't you do that to the Helders? I know. It's like how how did you get destroyed? I mean, I guess it's yeah. it's probably not foolproof. Maybe it is just on their own ships. Maybe they haven't figured out how to like do it at like a global level. Well, and there was a virus involved, so maybe they. Oh yeah. Well, I think the way Eric told it is like the Howlers had left a secret weapon behind. Like we discovered on the journey to Earth, the Pemelites were all dying. It didn't seem like that was the way they. I don't know. Yes, it's also possible that Cryak actually had more to do with it than the Howlers themselves. Mm. The reason I say that is mm. that the Crag apparently has given the Drode some ability to just kind of appear mm. in this ship and then disappear and then reappear in and the ship. create the Chi self-destruct sequence, or start the Chi self-destruct sequence without being necessarily at the controls. Right. Which is also why, just another logistics thing here, forgive me, <laughs> is uh, at the end, it, what Eric has done with this ship is buried it very deeply in the ocean, deeper than any yerk could ever go, which was not the problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. We're solving the wrong issue here. They they didn't turn that on or turn that off. I hope it's not so deep that if the self-destruct sequence is activated, he can't reach it in 15 minutes from any place on Earth. Okay, but people don't try plots more than once in this series. So I'm pretty sure they'll be fine. Cryak will never do this. <laughs> Although it is probably a reasonable assumption that, like, in whatever this, like, chess game that's happening between the Elemist and Cryak, like, Cryak got to try this, and it failed. He probably isn't allowed to just do it a bunch more times. I, I also, we should we should get into this whole thing, but I'm thinking about Cryak's long game after our conversation last episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that there's an argument here that he almost gets what he wanted. You think what he wanted was to plant this idea with Rachel? Yeah, and mm. I think that she screws it up by not telling Jake. I think I think that this oh, is yeah. as I much do, as I did want to talk about as much as they as much Jake. as they say it's like about Rachel and Rachel special here. I think that this fits into the like Cryak is obsessed yeah. with taking Jake down mm. and like yeah because so basically what happens is the Drode is like hey I'm going to give you this bargain where if you kill your cousin then I'll save you from whatever bad situation you're mm-hmm. in. And, like, if you know Rachel at all, she's not going to take this deal. No, and yeah. in fact, she's, she's never going to do this. Yeah, and it's like, it's I love Rachel so much because she's like, yeah, I mean, it was a weird thing that he asked me, but, like, obviously I'm never going to do that. The drone sucks, Cryak sucks, Jake's great, like, this is fine. <laughs> and, then, and then she thinks, but, you know, maybe I won't tell Jake because he has a lot on his mind. And, and that's, I think that's totally genuine. It's not yeah. like she wants to keep a secret from Jake or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. But I think she's absolutely right that if she told Jake about it, yeah. He would be worried about her and less able to be an effective leader. That's and a so really like, good point. It's like planting this seed to to basically make him a less effective leader of the Animorphs mm-hmm. seems to mm-hmm. be what the, what Craig and the Drone are going for here. That was my question. I was like, why does he bother making this offer? He must know that Rachel isn't going to take him up on it. Like, certainly not at this point. I don't remember enough about the ending to know if this is ever a real temptation for her. And I'm kind of glad I don't know much about the ending because I can speculate. But, like, I was like, did he plant this because he thinks for some point down the road she's actually going to want to take him up on it? Or did he just plant this as, like, a mind game for her? And I think you're right, Ted. It didn't occur to me. He planted it as a mind game for Jake, like, to create strife within the group, and it just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, because Jake's, like, not kind to Rachel many times, but he trusts her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's turbulence in their relationship, but it is fundamentally right They're now cousins. like strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they patched up the thing in 22, and they seem to be okay right now. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit more about the Drode? 
Yeah. Ugh. And the Ugh. ruthless things he says to them, it's intense. Yeah. So the great thing is he's got he's got a beat on all of them. Like, yeah. The, mm-hmm. We should talk about whether we like the drone as a character or a plot device, because <laughs> I had mixed feelings, and I've come around on completely pro-drone 100%. <laughs> I love the fact that the drone exists, because he's like... He's clearly read all the Animorphs books too, and he's <laughs> yes. just willing to taunt them. Mm-hmm. And it's the it's fun a way to give their like emotional baggage a like concrete foe that they have to fight, <laughs> right? Instead of it just being thematic stuff that comes up over and over again, yeah. right? I actually think that this is another example where Apple Grant listens to our podcast and went back in time <laughs> because my suspicion in this theory is that they listened to our podcast and they were like, "Man, Gray really does not like the Elemist." Let's show her how much worse he could be. <laughs> the drone. Still a jerk. Still a god figure. I still hate him. And he's super rude. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he's got a really annoying voice, too. So, what is oh, he are you going to do it for us? Oh, dilemma. Oh, drama. Oh, the tension and excitement of it all. And he doesn't use thought speak. I'm like everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he, I just, I just want to read his takedowns of everybody. Oh, please yes. do. First, imagine voice. the head was, or it appeared from behind a tree. It moved on two legs, body held forward and balanced by a stubby tail. It walked like a bird or a small dinosaur. It did hold its hands up, but they were weak, flimsy things, multiply jointed, but obviously designed for very light work or very low gravity. The head was surprising for that almost reptilian body, vaguely human in shape, with a narrow lower jaw and wide-set, intelligent, laughing eyes. It was wrinkled, like your thumb after a long bath. Its flesh was dark, almost black. The eyes and mouth were rimmed in green. So in my head, this has always been a, like, plush Barney that has been dyed black <laughs> and, like, left in the tub for too long. Like, that's how that's I always raisin. pictured the drone as, like, an evil raisin. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when he shows up, he's like, Jake, the reluctant leader. Jake, the oh-so-tiresomely decent one. A sanctimonious killer. My least favorite kind. Oh, yeah, and then it's, it's so great. So he says he's making references. Like, he's like, come out, come out, wherever you are. I'll even come out with my hands up. So, like... Oh, knows humanity. Yeah, he knows yeah. human culture really yeah. well. And he's, like, speaking he's to them watching. on their level. Right. And so Marco says to him, I don't know what species it is, but I think we better report it to the Prune Growers Association. Oh, Marco, the funny one. How's mommy, Marco? Is she alive or is she dead? Does she scream with the yerk in her head? Cassie, the hypocrite, I don't believe in violence, except when I do. Eximile, the pitiful pale shadow of his dead brother. If only you'd insisted on going with Elfangor, maybe he'd have lived. Too bad. And Tobias, ah yes, Tobias, the boy not really so trapped as a bird, eh, but too gutless to resume life as a human. And Rachel, my very favorite animorph. Rachel, do you feel the adrenaline rush of murderous desire? Do you feel the urge to reach out and destroy me? Of course you do. You and I have that in common. Does that mean he wants to reach out and destroy himself? (laughs) No, but so this is, again, in my theory, he makes this whole point of calling out Rachel in public. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you can't psych Rachel out. But everyone else in the group is scared and worried about Rachel. Mm -hmm. So he's he's really, like, trying to create this divide and, like, play up the tensions in the group in a really... In a really subtle way, yeah. even though he's overtly yes. an evil mastermind. That's a really good point. I like the difference in how they react. Like, he says the thing about, like, how's mommy Marco? Is she alive or is she dead? And and he's, like, reaching out with his squid tentacles to try to try to hurt the drone. And then later he says, I'm not going to do the voice. 
Oh, very clever, Big Jake. Interesting that he calls him Big Jake yeah. and not mm. Little Jake, like Cryak. Prince Jake, have you killed your brother yet? No. Well, you will. And Jake just says, Cryak sent you. Payback. And he just like he just like takes it totally coolly. He's just like, yeah. I see what you're doing. You're trying to psych us out. Marco and Jake and all of them have all had to grow up fast. And I feel like Jake's had to grow up the fastest. And he definitely mm-hmm. seems like the most capable of withstanding this kind of taunting. Which is why the droid wants to get to him through Rachel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like that. I imagine the droid wearing like a, a top hat for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the droid explains. Um, so they're like, so you set the whole thing up, right? And they're like, he's like, yeah, 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 I did the whole thing. And he's like, but there are some rules. I can't kill sentient creatures, which means the whale's going to survive. Don't worry about your stupid whale. Interesting right? statement about whales, instantly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's canon. It's consistent yeah. with book yeah, four. Yeah. yeah. On that point, Rachel at one point thinks, you know, after this whole war thing is over, we could really update some zoology textbooks. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. I've been saying that since book four. They know so much more about animals than anyone else on the planet. Although the funny thing is that I'm pretty sure that statement is meant to be like, Okay, kids, don't take this too seriously. It's not in the zoology textbooks. We don't actually know. But I definitely <laughs> read it even now as like the animorphs know way more than the zoology textbooks. <laughs> or true, the encyclopedia that Rachel we'll get there. takes will get there. Let's go back to the drone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, Axe is like, okay, yeah, rules, rules. And uh, the drone is like, yes, yes, oh, yes. Mustn't upset the balance. Not directly anyway, but create problems. Yes. Create opportunities. Yes. <laughs> Play the wild card. No, earlier he <laughs> describes that the word drone means wild card. He is, so I think in he, his own language, he chose his own name. When he says play the wild card, he must be like doing a shimmy or like there's also a sparkle sound effect or something. It also means he's basically the Joker, right? Yeah. Oh. Uh, of course. And now no more time for chat. The Yurks are here for you. Will they kill you outright? Or will they make you controllers? I don't care. Either way, my master will reward me. And then um, yeah. Cassie's like, um, but you can't kill, get us killed. That's the rule, right? We're in an impossible situation. And the drove is like, no, no, no. Part of the rules is you guys always have a way out. So mm-hmm. I also like, now that whenever Cryak <laughs> and the Elmist are involved, there's a narrative excuse for whatever improbable yes. coincidences happen. And I love that Cassie was the one to come up with it, like using her knowledge of squid. Mm-hmm. One other thing about the drone is that he, she's like, you set the self-destruct sequence on the chi, and the drone is like, oh, that doesn't matter because they're they're machines. They don't count as people. But isn't yeah. Cryak part machine? Like, <laughs> I'm, like, really confused about this point. If this is part of the rules, like, Cryak didn't set them up very well. Interesting. The pictures huh. I found of Cryak very widely. <laughs> did you find the picture of Cryak? <laughs> I did not find the one you showed me. <laughs> we'll put it in the episode notes. But, uh... I found a bunch of other fan art. Can I show you guys what I'm now picturing um, Kaya, or uh, the droid as? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are including that gif in the episode notes because oh it's amazing. That's <laughs> and perfect. That's definitely what he is. <clears throat> I was writing with the hat. Amazing. Okay, I just want to read the line that the droid says to Rachel at the end. It's like weirdly like clunkily phrased but like maybe because of that like also weirdly memorable like I did not I could not have told you it coming in and I remember it so clearly um he's like if you ever find yourself desperate Rachel at an end in need remember this your cousin's life is your passport to salvation in the arms of Cryak like whoa (laughs) and also it was interesting Ted that you said it if she's ever like in trouble and needs a way out or something I interpreted it as like 
if the lust for battle becomes too much and the Animorphs can't satisfy it anymore, we'll oh, help you out. I like that, that is how better. I read it. Oh. Yeah. Because it, before he's like, your friends are all relieved. Are you Are you happy that peace has been restored? Or don't you itch for the chance to press those deadly claws another six inches forward to tear open that exposed throat? And it's just like a hork It's not like someone yeah. she really yeah. hates. Well, so, but it's, right. So I guess it's, it's kind of like the notion of side bets again, right? Mm-hmm. So... If even if Jake is the primary target, right? If he gets what he wants and Jake screws up and half the animorphs die and Rachel's still there, then that's an opportunity. Like, why not recruit her? She's going to be beside herself and not know what to do oh, with man. her life. Right? Oh, wow, like, that's true. You know, Rachel as she is now, of course, is like super loyal. But once, uh-huh. you know, if all the other animorphs were dead, right? That is true. That's what true. else is she going to do? Well, and that's a trope too, right? For in a in a band that has a warrior in it mm-hmm. if the other if that warrior ever thinks that the other members of the band have died Ooh. they go like berserk right yeah. And yeah either switch sides because they there's nothing left for them to live for or go on murderous rampages where there's no distinguishing between enemy and friend like that's mm-hmm. very much right. in she's not gonna go back to tt right <laughs> i mean I she might go back to her her family she cares a lot about her sisters yeah but... sure sure but she's not gonna be able to live like a normal life and I mean she probably would just fight one last mission and die because she'd be alone mm. and we see that when she's gonna use the an- the android as like a bludgeon and mm-hmm. kill the cop in that battle mm-hmm. I hope she doesn't mind <laughs> <laughs> well it didn't end up happening so um, I have some squids to yes oh, oh my god the squid it. morph was the worst <laughs> I that morph was so bad. I even wrote it down. Like the, the whale morph was kind of fun with the like acre of hair, and she gets caught in her hair. <laughs> is an acre a lot smaller than I thought, or is that like a no. huge exaggeration? No, I think it's it was hyperbole. Crazy. Okay, I just wanted to say, great, you looked so validated when Lauren and Jenny were talking about how gross the morph was. You were like, I know, that's what I've been saying. <laughs> Also, Marco calls her pores potholes. <laughs> Don't say that. It's very vivid, though. Oh, like, yeah. I can yes. picture it. That's not great. Really bad. But she loves the whale brain. Yes. Uh, in a way that I think is actually, it reminded me a little bit of the uh, skunk brain mm, in, in, mm-hmm. that, in Kathy's book, that they're both very calm in their confidence that they are in charge of their immediate environment mm-hmm. or like perfectly fitted to their immediate environment. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that description. I think we need to read the squid morph. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, I didn't like the whale morph either, but the squid morph is very bad. Yeah, this is maybe one of the worst ones. I could hear a squishing sound coming from inside me, from my guts. And then I reached down and felt my stomach sinking inward. My internal organs were slithering away to hang in zero space until I returned to claim them. I was being scooped out. My arms and legs began to stretch. Out and out, farther and farther, absurdly, idiotically far. My arms formed the clubbed ends that marked them as tentacles. My legs were two of eight normal arms. Normal. Right. Sploot! Sploot! (laughs) More arms were poking out of me, writhing out of my chest and back insides. Six new arms, like snakes crawling out through my flesh and growing (laughs) as they emerged. I had the horrific image of being an egg hatching snakes. I was all writhing arms. Well, there's a whole new nightmare, I muttered. And now, 
All down the bizarrely extended arms, hundreds of saucer-sized needle-toothed bumps popped up like swords. Flimp! <laughs> my head imploded. Oh, God. Just suddenly sagged as my skull melted away. My eyes spread wide and the top of my head started growing out and out, like some cartoon of an out-of-control zit. And my insides seemed to percolate up into my head area. My skin turned brown. It hung for me like a sweatshirt ten sizes too big. It was like wearing a cape, a cape of powerful muscle. My eyes became huge, circular pools of darkness. I really liked the cape of powerful muscle. I realized that I was going to have to write it down when it was the, when she was an egg hatching snakes. Yeah. And then the bumps popped up like sores. Yeah. Those are, those are both a little grosser than usual. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew the word percolate when I was 13 to 14. You know, I don't know if I did. Also, I when they're remembering. when they're whale swimming, they say, we sounded. Mm-hmm. I, was I was like, like I would sure not I have didn't known know what that, that now. Wait, I noticed that. Hold I was on. Like, That's okay. not even the most improbable whale thing that she says. Hold on, hold on. She did whale research in the encyclopedia. That's true. Yes, but even one or two, maybe three days of whale research is not going to prepare you... To say... Oh, it's all the same day. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, right? Minutes <laughs> of whale research. You're not going to be like, okay, so I exhaled spouting spray and drawing in enough air to last a maximum dive capacity. Great. Talking like a normal person would talk about whale things. <laughs> Passages in my massive head filled with water and all automatically the waxy deposits of spermaceti pooled the water and sent me plunging. <laughs> yeah. Where did she get a phrase like the waxy deposits of spermaceti? I know. It's because she read Moby Dick. <laughs> On the one hand, I do. I have always known since then how why they're called sperm whales and how it is that they cool water and dive. But also, it's completely unrealistic that she would like notice Wait. that happening in her head. Can we pause and can you like flesh out that story? So, like, do you finish the Enormous <laughs> book, or did you stop and say like I didn't understand this and then go read about whales in like? Oh no! I mean, that's just like I. I understood that. That made Jenny sense. I'm like, oh, there are waxy deposits. Knew whale biology yes. when you read this. No, I read that and was like, oh, okay. So there are waxy deposits that are called spermaceti, and that's why they're called sperm whales, and they use them to cool the water and dive. It's all in there. Um, can we talk about two other morphs that I loved? Oh, sure. One is when Rachel's morphing an elephant, and the first thing that changes is her nose rolls out. <laughs> And her with the elephant nose. That's back at the railroad. Um, and then when they morph seagulls, we use the seagull's ultimate weapon, precision-guided cruise missile poop. <laughs> oh, middle grade books are great. It's a shame Chapman wasn't looking up, Rachel I says. Know. I also thought that was a shame. <laughs> we haven't seen much of him in a while, but I still hate him. No, he's around, but oh. he sucks. Chapman, glad you brought that up, because this explains why the Elemist bothered to save Chapman. He was such an afterthought, but according to Elemist rules, if they created the situation where Chapman's going to die in a black hole, Elemist has to save him, too. Good Mm. point. (laughs) Can we talk about when they figure out that they need to morph a giant squid? (laughs) The really delightful conversation that they have. Mm -hmm. That one? Oh my gosh, I love it. I, yeah. Including, (laughs) and importantly, the snail. So Cassie's like, wait. Voyage to the bottom of the sea. Wasn't it journey to the bottom of the sea, Marco said? No, it was voyage. Jake confirmed. Journey sounds better, Marco said. Jake sighed. Hey, time marches on. Okay, what were you thinking, Cassie? Calamari, she said with a grin. Snails? I said, frowning. 
I am not in favor of snails, Axe said. Wait, that's not, Gassy said loudly. I had the misfortune to inadvertently eat one while feeding, Axe continued. I did not see it in time. I stepped on it and digested it. You made a snail through your hoof, I asked. Yes, and the meat portion was fine. However, once the snail's body had been digested, the shell was very difficult to... Okay, I think that's probably enough about snails. It's not enough. Said. Very difficult to what, X? We're so close to learning more about antelope biology. It was very difficult to store in Z-Space, where he stores the rest of his eliminated byproducts of food. Wait, when they morph when they morph big animals, they're morphing out of antelope poop? <laughs> yes. That's, that's horrifying. That's not canonically true. Antelite poop gets put into a square and stored at Area 51. Maybe the toilet is actually a mechanism for transferring antelite poop to sea space. It all makes sense now. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, they have to eat, you know, nutritionally diverse foods or they don't have enough of the right kind of things to morph from. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then Cassie's like, no, no. Uh, calamari doesn't mean snail. Escargot means snail. It means squid. And Tobias is like, uh, Calamari is octopus, not squid. <laughs> I love like, this. Oh, who cares? This is so good because they're it's like they're such teens. Yeah. I love it so much. No, and they're, they're just getting to they're they're all friends, they're getting yeah. distracted. It's great. <laughs> and then Marco and Rachel do like a, a bit where I met Marco's gaze. Why didn't she just say that to begin with? Could have saved a lot of time, Marco agreed, playing along. Then Cassie's like, it's a book! Journey to Aha, it was Journey. <laughs> I mean voyage to the bottom of the sea. And then Rachel's like, wait a minute. It wasn't Journey or Voyage. It was 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Jules Verne. Cassie looked like she might strangle me. Then she said, oh, yeah. Voyage was a TV show. They run it on the sci-fi channel. I thought it was on Nick at Night, Marco said. At this point, everyone started giggling. No, no. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was a sci-fi show. get there. Read the next bit of it. All I had was, at which point everyone started giggling. Someone call the Chi and tell them they're doomed, I said. Their only hope is a collection of idiot kids standing around in the woods debating cable channel. <laughs> there he is. So, I, the reason that I was particularly enraptured by this passage is that so I was obsessed with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea at, at this age. Like This was your Animorphs. I loved it. I have read that wow. book so many times and, like, obsessed. So when she says, Captain Nemo, you know... Voyage to the bottom of the sea. I was like, that is not where that is from. What are you talking about? Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, I also had that in my notes. I was like, this was a huge mistake. It was like, oh great, they spent the whole chapter correcting it. <laughs> There's a chapter about this. Um, but that is also one of my 60s references, apparently, because oh, yeah. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was a TV series from 1964 to 1968 about a nuclear submarine that explores the oceans. It looks terrible, by the way. Like, wow. it's very bad. Sometimes wow. they're like, exploring the oceans and there's like climate change and they're talking about that and then sometimes there are aliens <laughs> what kind of show is this i don't know um, something for everyone yes but what i think is interesting about this in particular is we don't know a lot about giant squid so mm-hmm. what is in Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea is pretty much this description right the huge mm-hmm. eyes the way the suckers work the fact that they fight sperm whale and like sometimes the squid win and sometimes the sperm whales win we don't really know I mean, there's, like, Melville talks about that a little bit. All anyone really knows for sure is that we found sperm whale um, with squid, like, scars from the squid's Mm -hmm. tentacles. But the first time that a squid, a giant squid was ever caught on camera was very recently. Like, within the last five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, very recently. Because just we had no technology for getting images that low and actually... 
if you get the chance, there's some really interesting science articles about it because the woman who invented the technology to to do this, like they've been on a mission to take pictures of the giant squid Ooh. for like her whole life. And it's like, it's all very fascinating because giant squid are so hard. We've never found one, right? And so I think it's going back to that point about we could rewrite zoology textbooks. Like, <laughs> yeah, like a lot. Like we still don't know any of this stuff. But we do, because we read this Animorphs book about the real adventures of the kids. Animorphs now, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah. the, you know, the larger yeah. scientific world is very excited yeah. for them to write this text. Cassie could make a whole career out of morphing rare animals two hours at a time and studying them. Oh my them. gosh. My other question she is, would. what? Was this 98? Are yeah, nine, nine, it's 99. It's March of 99. Yeah. Uh, in 1996, there was a New York Times article entitled, Scientists Close In on Hidden Lair of the Ocean's Stable Giant Squid, hmm. which is all about giant squid and how we've never seen them before. Well, it reminds me of, it, like, Megamorphs 2 is cutting-edge dinosaur research that we now accept, mm-hmm. like, it's gotten out into the wider culture. So it's mm-hmm. cool, like, this was cutting-edge giant squid stuff. Not that yeah. there was much to know, but... <laughs> Nobody totally yeah. knows. That's great. So I'm always impressed when she includes this, like, cutting-edge research into animals. So, on the topic of the Animorphs have amazing conversations, can we talk about possibly my favorite part of this book or anything ever? When <laughs> the mall? The mall! <laughs> I got to the part where they see Eric in front of the store, and I was like, oh, they're going to dress him up as Bill Clinton and smuggle him out. <laughs> and I texted Ted, I was like, I just remembered what they do to get Eric out of the mall, and I'm so excited. Yeah, this and is was, an, I remembered this anecdote and none of the rest of it. It was just as good as I remembered yeah. it. Yes. So Eric Eric's hologram is malfunctioning. They managed to smuggle him into Spencer's gift because Rachel's like, aha, a place where he won't be noticed. And and then she says that mall knowledge is going to be her major is in college. Spencer's gifts a 90s reference or is it a timeless reference? It still exists. I looked it up. No, I but, think it's timeless. Right. Well, maybe not pre-90s, but since the 90s. But does it still hold the same place? In mall goers, I don't know. I definitely assumed that it wasn't in existence anymore. But also, malls don't hold the same place. Yeah, no, that's true. So it's hard to say. There are several near Boston. I looked it up. Not that we're in Boston. We could be anywhere. Um. (laughs) (laughs) And have any last names. (laughs) I personally have all the last names. So they hide Eric in the back of the store near a strobe light. And some kid is like, oh, cool. And Rachel's like, uh, it's $5,000. And he's like, oh, that's lame. He's wearing a Hanson shirt. That's true. Hey, we haven't gotten to the 90s references oh, okay. yet. Okay. Was Hanson, can we just talk about it, though? <laughs> was Hanson now no longer cool in 1999? Like, what was the deal with Hanson? Yeah, actually, I thought it was kind of like... Is it too late? I think it was like 96 that Hanson was big. So, yeah, it's definitely not... Like this person. So this guy is, is like out of date. Like, <laughs> or maybe really, really I don't think people wore things ironically quite yet. <laughs> right. So actually, maybe yeah. Apple Grant just wasn't quite in tune with what the kids were listening to, and they're like, "Hanson, Hanson is cool, right?" As of like two years ago, they were probably still cool. You know? Yeah. They did. also we know that Apple Grant didn't realize there were verses to Bob. So <laughs> that's right. So they don't really know is the is the thing. Anyway. Rachel abandons Cassie in the store with Eric because she has to go shopping for clothes for Eric, which I have questions about Rachel's budget. She's she like, has multiple she's credit like, cards. I put my credit cards through some serious exercise. This is a 13, possibly 14-year-old person. With a single mother who has three kids. I mean, she's a she's, lawyer, so she's yeah. probably doing okay. Well, and I think and her, like, dad her dad has is a, yeah. paying his Her dad child has, like, a fancy oh. job. Her mom's credit card and her dad's credit card. Yes. Oh! <laughs> I figured it out. 
Yeah. <laughs> I am, I do want to know, like, what kind of limits she has. Like, what do they, limits do they impose on her spending? Like, she's not earning any money. But, like, I remember being, like, that age, being like, maybe when I go back to school, my mom will buy me, like, two pairs of jeans. Yeah. Like, she has a different life. Uh, so, <laughs> Rachel gets back with the clothes. And Cassie has acquired an audience. Oh, this is why. Can you read the description of Cassie struggling? Because <laughs> yes, I love Cassie yes, I so can. much. Cassie was lecturing them. She was also sweating and breathing hard. Cassie is not a look-at-me kind of person. Yes, it's the latest thing from KTEL. It's the all-new kitchen droid. It slices. It dices. It can make Julianne's fries. You mean... Julian fries? A woman asked skeptically. Anyone's fries, Cassie said, her voice tinged with desperation. This kitchen droid will even ask, do you want fries with that? So why isn't it doing all that stuff, some kid asked. Yeah, turn it on, another said. I saw Cassie's knees do a little wobble. She's definitely not a public speaker. This is just a mock-up, right? I said loudly. Yes, Cassie cried, as if I just told her the secret to winning the lottery. Yes, this is just a mock-up. This isn't the actual kitchen droid. The actual thing won't be available till, oh, around, like, um, in six months, I said. <laughs> and then everyone goes away. Oh, Cassie. Um, so I looked up KTEL International. Uh, so KTEL International is a company which specialized, mm-hmm. past tense, in selling consumer products through infomercials and live demonstration. Mm-hmm. Its products include compilation music albums and consumer products, including the record selector... The Veg-O-Matic, <laughs> the Miracle Brush, and the Feather Touch Knife. And now, apparently, they still exist, but they only sell music. They have the rights to a bunch of music from, like, the 50s through the 80s, and that's all they do now. They don't huh. do the infomercials. I'm impressed that Cassie knew about their existence. Yeah. I am surprised by, apparently, how ubiquitous this style of infomercial was in mm. the 90s. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think it was ubiquitous is that this is the second mid-90s pop culture reference to this exact phrase that I have heard recently, the other one being Aladdin. Oh, <laughs> also makes Julian Fries. Also makes I thought that immediately, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually put that it That is my primary Julian Fries yeah. association. Is, yeah. is this an Aladdin reference? Does anyone know like, what Julian Fries are? I actually don't know. Yeah, it's a way of slicing the potato. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like thin matchsticks. Yeah, and mm, right, matchstick style is the way okay, to describe okay. it. All right. You can have Julian Peppers, like, you can oh, do a lot of things, Julianne. Julianne owns a lot of things. <laughs> so then, then, Rachel pulls out all the clothes she got. <laughs> she pulls out the underwear. Underwear? Cassie shrilled. She held up a pair. Tommy Hilfiger underwear? He's in... She looked around to make sure no one could hear. He's an android. He doesn't need designer underwear. Sorry, they don't have a Walmart at the mall, I hissed. Uh, Rachel? He's an android? Excuse me? He doesn't even need pants except as a disguise. Oh, point taken. I looked at the briefs. Maybe I'll give them to Jake. <laughs> Excuse me, Eric said. Can we not discuss what? And then someone interrupts them. I kind of want to know how he was going to finish that. Do you all have male cousins? If you had an extra <laughs> pair of underwear, would you just like think to yourself, oh, you know, I could give it to my cousin. Okay, she really likes dressing people. And you probably can't return them because they're underwear. I think she should yeah. have Tobias incorporate them into a senior morph. <laughs> She would never bring up Tobias's underwear in front of Cassie. That would be horribly <laughs> embarrassing. But Jake's underwear is okay to bring up. In That's fine. <laughs> she, yeah, she's fine with that. Okay, so then, continuing the best adventure that ever happened. First of all, she has to call Jake and Marco, or she calls Jake, and she's like, Jake, where the, where are you? Which is one of those great examples of, like, clearly there would have been a swear there if this hadn't been a middle grade book. And Jake's like, 
oh, sorry, forgot I was supposed to meet you at the mall. And Rachel's like, yeah, our packages are really, really, really heavy. <laughs> we ran into Eric, but we still need more help. <laughs> so then Jake shows up with Marco in Gorilla Morph. <laughs> you have to read the, yes. the oh, description I of Marco arriving. Oh, look, it's a guy in a gorilla suit, I said, almost laughing as I spotted Jake and a huge hairy gorilla, an actual gorilla, of course, swaggering into the store. The gorilla, Marco and Morph, was wearing a sandwich board sign. It was crudely done in magic marker. It was an advertisement for a movie. King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> yes, Godzilla. Another, by the way... 60s reference? Although the DVD came out in 98. Okay. Wait, is Godzilla a thing? No. no. <laughs> King Kong vs. Godzilla. I know, it's like a... Yeah, okay. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah. That's a really realistic gorilla suit, the clerk said suspiciously. Look out, I yelled at the clerk. That lava lamp is about to fall on your head and knock you out. Huh? He looked up, and Marco totally missed his cue. I said, it's about to knock you out, I repeated. He's this killer instinct. He's just working with Spencer's gifts. He hasn't done anything to deserve this. Oh, He could get a concussion. Oh, he definitely does. (laughs) It's okay, because they move him into a better position for his unconsciousness. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Marco said in thought speak. He reached out one canned ham fist and gently tapped the clerk on the head. The clerk went down like a sack of wet cement. Yeah, no, concussion. It's bad. Uh, they could have distracted him, but no, that's Rachel's thing. They so had to then, check to make sure he was still breathing. Yeah, it was It was not great. But then what is great is what <laughs> happens next. They're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to smuggle Eric out. How about his face? A mask? Jake ran to snatch up some full head masks. I have Clinton, Gingrich, and a Teletubby. Dipsy, I think. That's not Dipsy, Cassie corrected. That's Tinky Winky. Dipsy's green and has the straight up thing. Tinky Winky's the one with the triangle. Who's the little red one, Marco wondered. Poe, Cassie said. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Which answers the question we were wondering when Cassie's hanging out with, like, Jake and Marco, and and her mom's like, Cassie, that TV show you like is on. (laughs) (laughs) She just couldn't name it because she knew it would be so embarrassing to Cassie in Um, front of these boys. I will not stand for that. Cassie is not a fan of the (laughs) Okay, she's just very observant and has a good memory. That's fine. Uh, Anyway, so Marco's like, oh, yeah. No offense, Eric said, but how on earth have you people managed to avoid getting caught for this long? Which is Grace's question. Real question. It's so funny. (laughs) Meanwhile, as this slightly idiotic conversation was going on, I was dressing my first android. I like to think it's the first in a long line in her career as a personal shopper for android. I had guessed right on every size. I am the goddess of shopping, I said, feeling satisfied. So then they choose a mask. A minute later, a gorilla wearing a sandwich board sign for a misspelled movie carried a very trendily dressed Bill Clinton over his shoulder out of the mall. <laughs> Fortunately, there was a big sale on at the department store, so not that many people noticed. At least, that was my explanation then. It hmm. was just like the best chapter of Animorphs ever to exist. So funny. It's really, really funny. Eric also was super sassy in that mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. When they're like, Eric, you had to go faster. This is a big problem. And he says, oh, really? You know the seriousness of the situation that totally escaped me. And then later, when Rachel labels him as $5,000, he says, actually, my approximate value in current U.S. dollars would be well into the billions. (laughs) He had an amazing, amazing sassy moment later where... They're like, oh, wow, like, Chi posing as, like, homeless people. It's not all, like, glamour for you, you androids. He's like, tell me about it. I'm posing as a junior high student. They're like, oh, yeah, good point. 
Another thing I love about that gorilla at the mall scene is that, like, it gets followed up on later. So (laughs) after they have the whole battle where they almost die thing, then they all go home because they can't think of the plan. She's like, my neighborhood looked normal. Kids playing street hockey, adults sweeping driveways, gossiping about the gorilla who'd been at the mall. (laughs) And by the time the news van arrived, the gorilla was already gone. Someone said they saw him abduct a child. I'm afraid to let my kids out of my sight. I love this so much. It's about time some normal people have been like, saw that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. freak animal accidents. That tiger <laughs> fell through the roof of the mall the other week, right? And I love that there's this whole world of people like all around. And oh, then, yeah. Like, Jordan is watching TV and she's like, I want to see the gorilla on the news. She's like, how come I'm never there when the good stuff happens? Yeah. And then even there's another like just normal people moment when Rachel's having her like inner angst earlier. She's like, yeah, oh, maybe I just want a normal boyfriend, but no, Tobias, oh, I love him so much, my fellow my fellow fighter, and then she thinks, we're not normal kids. I laughed suddenly, and some girl staring oh, at me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining Rachel, like, walking along confidently, and then bursting out, and just, like, manning a tackle, right? She's like, <laughs> and then doesn't realize there's someone right behind her. Uh, I think she's actually in the locker room, so it's like a girl she, like, you know, probably will see again. My my favorite gorilla follow up thing. So Rachel's Rachel and Jordan are watching the news, and they're interviewing the kid for, who was working at Spencer's Gifts. Sure, I saw it. The kid said, shrugging, "It was just some guy in a gorilla suit. No big deal." But he dropped a lava lamp on my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it worked. I love that. <laughs> Rachel like successfully intercepted no, like, him. Remember that thing a couple years ago where people got scared of clowns? Like there was like a <laughs> clown in the woods scare, and yes, then everyone oh, was yeah. like, "Oh no!" Oh, I thought people just were. I thought right. and then a lot afraid. of people yeah. copycatted him, and there were clowns wandering around the woods in the Carolinas because we live in a hellscape. Oh. I didn't realize. I thought it was all just like one clown, and people overreacted. I didn't realize Ooh. there were copycat clowns. Copycat clowns, and it was terrifying. Wow. Anyway. Shouldn't shouldn't this be the most important thing on everybody's minds? Like, where are these animals coming from? Where do they go? Are you in danger at any time of having an elephant knock down your house? Right? I think people would be more worried. Yeah, a lot of property is damaged. Right. Yep. We've talked about it before, and it's bad. Maybe it's not time we get into this, but I was impressed that most of the stores they named dropped still exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nine West. Old Navy. Tommy Hilfiger's still around. Body Shop. Oh, yeah. Gap. The Express, The Limited, a couple of other 90s references. Besides oh, yeah. All stars. right. I have other stuff, but let's do 90s. And the Hanson t-shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel has to find a payphone at the mall to call Jake. Yep. And it um, works. And it works. There is an AOL. Oh, my conference. God. <laughs> Androids Online. Androids Online. This is almost certainly not an on-purpose 90s reference, but um, one of the she is named Wards, mm-hmm. um, spelled like the town in France. Um mm-hmm. Madonna's daughter, whose name is Lourdes, was born in 1996. Hmm. And uh, at one point, Rachel says something about there being a... I heard a rumor that Disney was going to start a cruise line. Uh Mm -hmm. That cruise line was announced in 1996, and the first ship launched in July of 1998. Oh, so it already existed. It did already exist. She's a little behind. An obnoxious detail about these ships, by the way, just from reading the Wikipedia article, apparently their ship horns play, when you wish upon a star, do you want to build a snowman? It's a small world (laughs) and other tunes. (laughs) So in case you weren't already disgusted by the idea of Disney cruise lines. But Jenny, to your point just now, the references are moving forward, but presumably Presumably the Animorphs are still back in 96, 97. Because oh, we think right. only like nine months has passed time. Right. You're right. right. Mm. Of course. So, I don't think the Ghost Rider was so, probably thinking But like the Apple Grant are aware <laughs> that like in 99 when this is coming out, they're like, yeah, Disney has a cruise line, but you know, the Animorphs aren't there yet. Good point. 
Mm. Uh, one of the cops references When Animals Attack, oh, which yeah. is a series of television specials aired by Fox during the mid to late 90s. The specials compiled graphic clips of various animals attacking humans. Delightful. Who are Wait, we? Maybe this was the inspiration for the Animorphs. It wasn't anything about, like, we really wanted to teach kids about animals and, like, give them some life lessons about There's how hard it is to be a soldier. Fox. It's like, when animals attack, yeah. <laughs> kids oh. are going to love this. Marco makes a Titanic reference. Yes. We can see if Leo DiCaprio is floating around down there, which means it must be at least 97. Oh, yeah, we talked about Rachel snagging two volumes of their 10-year-old encyclopedia. Also, I don't know if this was really a 90s reference, but they go into the ship and they get their squid bubbles, and Cassie says, oh, my God. <laughs> Which felt very friends to me. I was definitely going to, like, a Chandler Janice place mm-hmm. oh, there. I was thinking, look at her butt. <laughs> it's a very 90s, like, yeah. or phrasing. Yeah. I do want to say that one bit where they Cassie comes up with the squid bubble strategy, and then there are all these, like, inky bubbles, and then, like, they're morphing into these combat animals and dropping out of them as Axe, like, faces down the controllers at the front. It's, like, so cool and, like, very anime. Like, I can just, like, picture <laughs> the battle scene in my head. It's so cool. We need our animated TV series. Yeah. This should definitely be an episode. No, okay, the animated TV series. There's one episode per book, and it's a very faithful adaptation. <laughs> okay, fair. Yes. We talked a little bit at the beginning about how this felt like it was some of the ghostwriter leanness was showing through a little bit. The big thing that felt like that to me was how many lines of dialogue Rachel got. Mm. Um, mm. There were a lot of lines that didn't feel like they were hers. Uh-huh. Like she has this line when Mark is like up ahead carrying Eric and Rachel's like, hang on, this is this is kind of they're like, this is weird line. Like, what are the odds of a gorilla carrying Bill Clinton going unnoticed? We walk out of the wall and no rent-a-cop tries to stop us. I mean, come on, how likely is that? And I was like, this is a Marco line. Like, she's not the one who usually picks up on this. And then she just, later when they're like, yeah, this this android's going to be caught in 20 minutes. 20 minutes, I nearly shrieked. Like, she would never have been the one to shriek that if it weren't mm-hmm. her perspective. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's just a protagonist effect going on where, like, she's saying more things because she's the main character, which is often the case. But this felt like it's taking it a little far. But she's also, like, she's jumpier later when she's like, this is a suicide mission. And then Jake mm-hmm. cuts her off and she's like, my jaw was left open. Like... You know, it's like, she seems on edge throughout the whole book. I agree, it's kind of like a weird take on Rachel. At the same time, she's clearly wrestling with some stuff in her head. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. The thing that I love about all the thematic stuff, though, is that, like, it's, like, pretty heavy, but she's just, like, at the end of the the second or third chapter, after she kind of, like, wraps up her angst, she's just like, yeah, but, you know, I'll just find another way to deal with it. I'll find another thing that I enjoy. Like, you know, maybe it won't be fighting forever. Like, whatever. Like, gymnastics and, isn't doing it today. I'll go shopping. Right. Yeah. And then at the end, similar, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, this, like, space Satan is trying to get me to kill my cousin, but I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to bother him with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> she's just, she's, like, very much like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, it, I will acknowledge that it sucks, but I'm going to just move on and, and keep Well, that's dealing. sort of her power, right? It's very, Where yeah, she's it's like, very this Rachel. is a complex situation. I'm going to take a stance and move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love it. I, I also love really that good. she got to go shopping in her own book. Which often doesn't yes. happen. Yes. Oh, that's so yeah. true. Aww. Yeah, she got to embrace her her shopping prowess alongside her propensity for violence and recklessness. I like the moment where they're talking with Eric's dad and about how deep the ship is. Fifteen thousand feet, Mister King said. Marco whistled. Almost three miles down. We all looked at him surprised. Hey, I told you before, I don't sleep through all my classes. <laughs> and it's true. He is. Yeah, he is. Very Neither smart. did X. <laughs> Though he doesn't know what a frat boy is. 
That was cute. Also, just the mental image of Axe swimming in his Andalite body <laughs> just makes me smile. He's probably real good at it. He is definitely not. <laughs> I really liked when they're approaching the sperm whale and like realizing how horrible it is that this happened for them, presumably. Rachel says, I'm going to hurt whoever did this. I'll help, Cassie said. Mm-hmm. And it was really great that they got to unite on that when they're so divided on so many things. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of um, when they were looking for the, the Horpazier kid, and they, uh, Rachel and Tobias yeah. find that little roadside attraction, yep, and yep. they're like, don't tell Cassie about this. Oh, wait, no, this is terrible. I'll help her take it out. It's yeah. like a very yeah. similar vibe. Yeah. I really liked the thing where they take Eric back to his house, and they find his father sitting on the couch, he had a TV remote in one hand and a pretzel rod in the other, and he's immobilized. And they're like, he looked like any other father on any other lazy day. Except that's probably what he was actually doing when he lost. I mean, maybe he had time to, like, get the pretzel rods in his, like, slow-moving state and be like, quick, let's pose so that I'll look normal if someone comes in and sees me, except for the fact that I am an android with no hologram. But probably that's just what he was doing. Also, Does he enjoy the crunch? I don't know. I don't know. He just makes interesting well, noises in his senses. And he doesn't ingest it, right? Yeah, he can grind it up into his face, though. So he though. just sort of like... No, just like... <laughs> okay, but if you have to keep up the illusion of having, like, a yeah. normal supply of food in your house, it would probably be hard to, like, keep it replenished. Like, probably the most efficient way is to just eat normal human meals. Just, like, put them in your Android self, and then I guess they get incinerated So he was just shredding pretzels? He's <laughs> wasting pretzels? I hope they have a compost bin. <laughs> He is a compost Uh Yeah, you know, maybe they give back by, I don't know, donating energy back to the electrical grid. I don't know. Or they package it all up and they send it to Z-Space. So actually, <laughs> your outfit just made out of pretzels. Perfect. I love it. Um, I do like so that- it's Android and she waste in Z-Space. <laughs> I do like at the, at the end of that scene, they change the channel. Yeah. They're stuck there for a while. We also didn't talk about how the Chi have Chi-Net. That's androids online. Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, the Chi technology is just for, like, a plot device thing here. (laughs) But they have, I guess, a source of energy that Mm -hmm. is powering the ship, you know, for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe the ship isn't doing much down there and it only booted up recently or something. Mm -hmm. But But it it seems seems like they could, like, do they have limitless power? Like, do they not have an ethical obligation to, like, do more with the stuff that they have? We've talked about this. That's a Superman problem. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, really weird. The more we learn about the Chi, the more holes there are. I wonder if they have some sort of, like, not the Andalite's Law of Sierra's Kindness, but actually more of a Star Trek Prime Directive. Like, it's our duty to not interfere and now Eric is breaking this by maybe Eric and I feel like friends. they only used to have a soft spot for people because they get along with dogs, right? Yeah, like, I feel that's like true. I have yeah. one um, question specifically about morphing, which is so they're they've got the squid. So she's touching the the creature, and Tobias is the last right to morph. I had to extend the acquiring phase to hold the squid still yeah. for Tobias. I'm sorry. (laughs) What? How is that voluntary? I don't know. Maybe you can only sort of focus. No, I think she just extend the acquiring phase isn't a good way to put it. But I think it's true that once they're in the trance, the trance, it takes a very small amount of time to acquire someone, but then they stay in the trance until you break contact. That's how I've always understood the way the acquiring trance works. I didn't think that was it. I thought it was like, 
you acquire it by touching it, and then it stays groggy for a few moments, regardless of whether you continue touching it or not. I feel like it, it either if it's a if it's a consistent time, it must be a fairly long time because there are lots of those situations, like even in the first book when Jake he pacifies oh, the tiger, the tiger yeah, yeah. and then he's like, "Okay, I'll have enough time to get out." Oh shoot, there's another tiger, but he's mm-hmm. not he's not worried about like it, an animorph has never reached out to pacify an animal and then the animal wakes up and like bites their finger, right? Like well, that they, never happens. Well, they have had a couple animals where they just don't go into the trance. That is true, but if they go into but, the trance, I feel like they've never. I feel like surprised. it's a it's a pr- it's a probably a pretty consistent period of time, but I don't think you can just keep it going indefinitely by continuing to touch it. I agree, not indefinitely, but yeah. I think I think you can, can lengthen it that way. I think I don't know if we've seen any evidence of that, but I guess it's possible. All I'm saying is that's how I, I've always understood it. Hmm. How the acquired hmm. trance would work. I never articulated it until just now, so I can't yeah. support it with any evidence. But it is weird that it happens at all. It's like your DNA being copied just like makes you really sleepy for like a few moments. Yeah. <laughs> And the light magic. <laughs> I'm so Don't happy Lauren is magic. here. It's not magic. It's two against two now. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize. All right, I was Lauren, you're voting. coming on every episode. Apparently, I'm Sorry. definitely definitely on Team Cryak. <laughs> oh, darn it! That's because you listened to the episode. I mean, that's how when I read the book. Oh, I darn was it! You did read the book it. first. Oh, and then I listened to the pre-footage, not footage, <laughs> audio of twenty-six, and I heard you having this disagreement about how to say it. And I was in the grocery store, and I was like, well, "I want to vote." I guess you can oh, vote. Now. I thought you meant Team Cryak instead of like Team Elemist, and I was oh, like, "Oh no, Why, Lauren!" I was like, "Where are you going with this?" I'm That's because okay. you just think of the pronunciation as so obvious. I know, exactly. I got it. <laughs> exactly. No one thought it was Drode. <laughs> Dr. Ode. <laughs> well, that's what Doc it is. It's definitely Dr. Ode. Um, I have one other. Wait, do you think he actually got an advanced degree or is he just like those supervillains? <laughs> <laughs> he hangs out with Dr. Ock. Yeah. No, unfortunately, we know Drode. Me, it, it has another meaning. I've just remembered. It could be a false cognitive. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had I had one thing when uh, Rachel is describing herself, right? Mm-hmm. Rachel's very uh, happy to embrace her identity as a warrior, but her description early on is, "My father thinks I'm tough as any boy." Yep. My cousin Jake says my specialty is kicking butt. Marco calls me Xena Warrior Princess, and like no comment at all about how her mom or her sisters or Cassie sees her. Ooh. Oh wow! Yeah, I definitely noticed those. Like, oh great, bringing back the tough as any boy line. But yeah, she only seems to think that male perspectives are valid or like relevant right, when it comes this. to establishing warriors. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, it really Ooh. jumped out, and I think even like Tobias and X are also not mentioned, but they don't fit into that. Yeah, they probably the see her way. as a little more. Well, I guess X probably doesn't give his opinion to her, and Tobias sees her a little more complicatedly, complexly. Anyone have anything to add, or should we move on to I, an experiment? Um, I'm so ready. <laughs> Feeling experimental. I really enjoyed Rachel's description of the ocean. Ooh, well, thanks yeah. for bringing this up. It's like it's so classic. Like the ocean is big and mysterious and yeah. unknowable. I love it. Do you want to read it? Sure. The ocean is always intimidating, but when the sun sets and darkness rolls across the waves, you just can't help but be awed and abashed and a little frightened of it. Millions and millions of cubic miles of water, 20 miles deep in places, stretching all around the planet, touching every continent, most nations, home to tens of millions of species, everything from the submicroscopic to the immense. 
you feel small beside a whale, insignificant. Then you realize that a whale is insignificant in the ocean. Then you're flying over the bare fringe of that ocean, flying over a mystery that puny homo sapiens may never fully understand. And you feel your own smallness, your own utter weakness, and it's like a lead weight on your chest. It's not that the ocean is an enemy. It simply doesn't care. It feeds you. It makes the oxygen you breathe. It gave birth to your species. And if you get careless, it kills you, all without the slightest personal interest. There's nothing you can say to the ocean. No mercy to be begged. No deals to be made. If you were weak or careless or stupid, it would smother us, crush us, bury us forever in miles of black, black water. Oof. That's more intense. I probably kind of skimmed it a little bit. That was, yeah. uh, wow. Mm-hmm. And Rachel in particular feels like she can fight most things. And when she meets something, she can't. When we saw her kind of being freaked out by the claustrophobia in 17. Rachel has very <laughs> reasonable fears. <laughs> That's true. There's a bit about when she was morphing the sperm whale to go down. She's like, if something goes wrong, we can't demorph. Yeah. We yeah. will die. Right. And Normally, that was like, ooh, that's terrifying. Right. Their ability to morph is like a reset button. Whatever bad yeah. stuff happens, as long as they have the time and the space, they can get out. But, yep, but not in this case. Though so it was weird that, like, at some point they're like, okay, well, we either have to give up on the mission or keep going. Mm-hmm. And Axe is kind of like, okay, it's the point of no return. And they're like, oh, well, I guess now it is a suicide mission, right? And, like, they do kind of get out of, out of it, but it's like, I feel like the weight of that wasn't quite processed yeah. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, it's I was true. like, is it really worth them all dying to be yeah, able to achieve? Yeah. Like, I think probably not. I remember, what did he say? This is the point, was it like the actual yes. point of no her turn? Wow, okay, because yeah. it didn't feel like that. Yeah. It didn't quite read like that. Yeah, it was like before they went in, there was all this talking about like, at some point, we're not going to be and able to it's turn It's like back. moments later, they see the Yurk lights and like, yeah. the plot mm-hmm. goes But on, then but... when it actually happens, it's just like, oh, here we are at the point of no return. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I do, I love that like, so this is, like, the second ocean book that we've had. And I feel like in book four, I was, like, rolling my eyes at, like, the, oh, whales, at, like, the ocean is full of magical, wise whales, and everything's uh-huh. okay. And this is a lot more like, oh, the ocean is full of things, and we don't even know what all those things yeah. are. Also, you didn't talk about this. So Rachel, earlier, she's, like, when all of her friends are dying in the gunfight, she's, like, pushing herself past the point. She's pushing herself to the point of exhaustion, like, way further than she has to. And she has to be convinced to demorph. And then there's mm-hmm. this great moment here where the squid is fighting her yeah. and she has she has to choose to not let herself get killed and she's like okay I'm going to surface now cuz I need to and I'm leaving Tobias behind yeah. Tobias is so good for her Right 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 so like she's actually that is a moment of personal growth in a really strong way and it's yeah. also a great moment for Tobias because he yeah. comes up and he's like giddy with how awesome he feels yeah, she's like, like I have to go back and I save Tobias he's like no saving needed yeah uh, and he's like really it doesn't good. matter if I'm a whale or a hawk I am the best predator <laughs> yeah 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 it's they're great. It's they're really good. so good together yeah. I've talked about this before because of this thing where like Rachel needs to protect everyone and Tobias pushes against that in a way that's like really effective and like good for her where he's like no no you're about to die go surface I'll be fine and she yeah. does and then he, she's like I have to go save him and he's like no no I'm good I got this I got this squid yeah. and I think part of it is that she is so vulnerable with him and also that mm. she trusts him so much so when he yeah. says like you do this I have it she's like okay you do I trust you yeah he's not a person who is like bravado 
right? Yeah, that um, is true. So he's not faking that he has it. If he says he has it, he has it. And I think that's been important as well as a trust-building exercise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we have anything else? Um, they did haul butt at one point. Oh! <laughs> uh, yeah, this is my well, other note about Ghost Riders. Two out of two Ghost Riders have said the words haul butt, so they clearly knew it was a thing. <laughs> okay, so they're on board with Rachel they ship and Tobias. They Rachel and Tobias super hard. And they're into the hauling. And they think Jake has a temper problem. Yeah! <laughs> And, and Apple Grant have to come in and correct them. <laughs> uh, Jake doesn't usually have a temper problem. It was just this one time. Except every ghost written. We'll have to see if that goes on. All right. Um, do you want to look at the experiment? Oh, yeah. I'm going to make Lauren look at it with me. Okay. okay. Do you have it pulled up, Lauren? Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up. Um, I, I actually think the middle picture is kind of cute. Yeah. The second picture but is the real, one, the real nightmare that. here. I just, I don't buy, is my question. About all Change is a good thing. A very good thing. Poor Dot. <laughs> so why, why is Axe turning into a cow? Axe is why turning indeed. into a cow, and that's terrifying for a lot of reasons, not least of which is he's not going to enjoy that experience. No. <laughs> Cows are dim. Especially Holstein's. And he's going to be like, um, why do I have to eat grass through my... How many stomachs do Andalites have? We know um, they none. have multiple hearts. None? No, they just suck the, the nutrition's up. All the digestion happens in their homes? Yes. Yeah. Those are some heavy-duty hooves. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess they were really big in the cover of this <laughs> Exactly. They have, yeah, so they have one cubicle have waste hooves. receptacle inside their lower abdomen. And it's a square. <laughs> like wombat. Um, can I look at the inside picture of this? Oh, let me check. Probably not. Axe also is looking fit. Now look at this stuff, guys. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how do we feel about this, like, on principle? I feel like Gray should predict it first, there and was then a she lot of can refine her that. prediction mm-hmm. after looking at the inside image. Oh, okay. All right, so uh, the experiment. Okay, I don't think it will be necessarily important that cows produce milk. I think it will be a thing that we are going to learn about cows' personalities or lack thereof. Hmm. And uh, cows be dumb. So <laughs> maybe maybe it's the next Yerk experiment in infesting animals. Mm, they did okay. horses. This is a similar, like, you know, hooped mm-hmm, quadruped, mm-hmm. but dumber. So maybe, like, the instincts won't be as strong. And that's the experiment Why because the Yerks experiment. do they want to infest cows? Okay, well, let's see. They infested horses because they were going to use the horses to keep watch on Area 51. Uh-huh. So maybe they're infesting cows. I've worked myself <laughs> into, a, into a hole here. Yeah. <laughs> this one's hard. Um, they, they have to do cows because uh, they're going to try to move their operations from California to um, the Midwest. <laughs> They're going to try to move them? <laughs> I mean, are the Yerks planning to, like, poison milk or something? Is there a, an attack on farms? Ooh, or they're going to use milk as a replacement for Candrona rays. They oh. think Candrona oh. milk. Candrona milk. Wow. Okay. But they need to get to the source. All right. I don't know that the inside cover image is going to help you at all, but you can look at it if you want. It doesn't help me at all. We got Cassie. She's... Pointing at a cow and laughing. <laughs> That's a dude cow. And we got Tobias weirdly photoshopped on top of 
Oh, weird. Back, these both look like yeah. those architectural renderings uh, where you have like random people. It's very much what they look like. But they are on a farm. They're on a farm. Yes. So maybe um, she's laughing because Marco's going to turn into the girl cow and he's going to be grumpy about it again. Mm. And um, Rachel's. Axe? Well, no, Axe is on the front, but they're all going to. So the reason that there's. there's but the Tobias cow in the picture is Cassie. Mm-hmm. On the front cover, but not on the inside cover. No, 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 but so. The, the front covers have a cut-out face, right. so when you open it, I see. the Animorph so is always phase, pictured. This face corresponds. Yeah. Okay, so it cuts out to this. You're that's right. the Axe cow. Okay, so Axe is a girl cow, and that's why she's laughing. Okay. Axe and that mark. Do you think this cow is... Rachel. <laughs> it does have horns. Yeah. <laughs> You're missing the obvious theory here. Changes for the better. Cassie is laughing at Axe's choice of new permanent body. <laughs> You just had too much torso. Um, yeah, that was really the problem. <laughs> too many eyes, too much torso. Let's yeah. go to one rib cage. Too many blades. So if this is Axe and Rachel, where are Marco and Jake? I mean, there's a lot of cows in this picture. <laughs> they all get cow more. Which is the one eating the grass right behind? Marco. <laughs> Very good at guessing. Jenny, do you remember anything about this book? I have a few very vivid images of this book, but I can't remember why it's called The Experiment. I remember two things, and neither of them involve whatever the Yorks are doing. (laughs) Me too! (laughs) I I remember two things, and I will tell you what they are after this. I want them to be, I want you to tell me, but I want them to be things like a gorilla with a Bill Clinton in designer clothes androids. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question the way Ted sometimes does. What TV show do you think Axe is going to get really into? Um, That's one of the two things I remember. Uh, Green Acres. We'll see. Huh. So or Axe, would you like to submit a Axe TV show becomes goes? fascinated by cows. Because they're patchy the same way that Andalites are. <gasps> Whoa! And he's like, Brilliant. this earth creature kind of looks like us. So then he assumes that they're intelligent, which is a terrible assumption. Good insight, though. I would have expected that to be a horse then and for him to get really into Mr. Ed. Oh, okay. Well, these are all good guesses. I know. What 90s TV show has a farm? He was really into Gilligan's Island for a while. So um, maybe it's... That's why I went with Green uh-huh. Acres. Like, uh-huh. also kind of a throwback. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. We sure Next will. time on Animorphology when we discuss the experiment. Yay. <laughs> If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the books on our website. Yeah, Lauren, in case it wasn't clear, we can cut out anything. You don't see what you want. Bear, bear your Wildly inappropriate. Right. That never happens on this podcast. You never do that. And we always cut it. Definitely not make any... Willie references in 25. That was not a thing that happened.